Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 17, the NFC West situation. Welcome, everyone, to another great episode of the Big Chill Podcast. I am happy to say we have resurrected Sam's dead body from the grave, a little weekend at Bernie's style. So uh, Eddie's actually going to shove his arm up him and ventriloquist style doll. I was doing uh, that anyway. That has has nothing to do with him being dead. That's just what Sam likes. Yeah, the gay thing is coming in super early then. What's that record? Like eight seconds? (laughs) Actually, I I wasn't even trying to be in that one. That was all. Eddie took that the wrong way. I just thought you looked just like a ventriloquist doll. JJ wanted him. (laughs) So, Sam, good to hear your voice. Yeah. Good to be back. The uh, reports of my death were greatly exaggerated after I listened to the previous podcast. Did you miss me? Yeah. Did, did you see Shit's Creek dominated in the Emmys? Are you happy for that? <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even know about it. What? <laughs> what I don't even get what the reference is. <laughs> it's to uh, the, one of the main characters. Oh, is one of the main characters gay? Yeah, like super, wow, super, Frank, super flamboyant. That's so again. homophobic. Wow, that's, I mean, that's that's, that's not homophobic. Thing. That's Sam celebrating not, it. Sam is not defined by his sexuality. Okay, I mean, he, he's need to, you don't be, need to bring it up all the time. Okay? I just like being fisted like a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> by a man or a woman. You didn't specify who. Yeah, that's fisting. true. I it's don't not care. necessarily a gay activity. It is genderless fisting. I'm after. Yeah. Oh, you can't even say gendered, right? Because that implies that fluid man fisting. or woman, fluid, oh, that's a little bit different. <laughs> Super fluid fisting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Fluid. But yeah, um, it was weird listening to your podcast. Well, our podcast, your podcast. Your, your, so you, that wasn't your podcast? No, that but one? it was weird because it was quite fun to like listen back previously and be like, oh yeah, I remember that chat. It was a bit of fun. We talked about that. But it was just, there was parts of the time where I was listening to it going, when do I pop in? When do I interject? absolutely nothing <laughs> I was like, this guy's quiet eddie how are you out in paris do we have internet yet for you no internet no no it's still the, the struggle the struggle goes on so no no full-time internet but yeah things are okay well i have to assume at least the people are being extremely helpful to try and get you internet right I know you're trying to bait me into telling a oh, no, 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 no. support story here. I, I want this to be a thing. I, just, just give us a little idea, Eddie. You know, what's, what's an update from Thursday? Um, I've heard there's nothing better than the customer service in the Parisian uh, internet. internet. Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like I've had mixed, uh, mixed results with calling their customer support. So I've, I've been spending probably on average like 90 minutes a day on the phone with them. So that's been nice. And on Friday, I called a guy. You could tell just right off the bat that he was useless. You know, like when you speak to a customer support person, you're just like, this guy is not in the mood to help me. So I kind of realized that pretty early on. And so eventually I said to him, oh, sorry, I'm really busy. Uh, I'm going to call back and uh, I'll call back later. And he was like, well, if you call back later, you're just going to speak to me again. I was like, why was that? He's like, well, because uh, I'm the manager. So you're just going to end up speaking to me. So I said, so whenever I call back Orange, I'm always going to be speaking to you. And he said, well, well, not whenever. And I was like, oh, I'll call back later then. So that was the end of our first. Like a little, little like minor defeat. There was a little spa and Eddie's won the lap. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
and uh, at least I've got a free kick in a dangerous area, okay? And uh, <laughs> I, I call back. I get on a, a really friendly woman, and she was very helpful. One nil. So, you know, I've scored from the resulting set piece. And uh, then things didn't go so well. So the things this friendly lady promised me didn't happen. Not the first time in my life that I could say that. And, uh, <laughs> and then Saturday, I call back trying to get through the customer support, and I fall on the unhappy, uh, useless guy again. Instantly, I recognize his voice. He clearly recognizes mine. Not that hard, obviously, because I'm like a non-native French speaker, kind of had a lot going in for his rec, and he had quite a distinct voice, so they, I instantly clocked that it was him. And uh, that just made me want to give up. So I kind of like spoke to him for a little bit. He just started going through the same like usual spiel, like nothing was going to help. So I just said, oh, I give up, and I hung up on him. And 15 <laughs> seconds later, my phone rang. It was like, I could see from the number that it was him. And I picked it up and he said, oh, it seems that uh, you've uh, hung up on me, but I think you might need my help. I, I love it. Just I love the audacity. The the audacity. I would actually say he's doing that almost like to call you out again. He's like, oh, you may have called it. He knows what you did. He oh, knows no, he's a troll job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He trolled he, you massively. Yeah, he, he knows Edward me. Hewitt is a, is a major troller. And he said, this is my opportunity for all those out there that have gotten trolled by Eddie Hewitt to return the favor and troll this fucker. Oh yeah, and that that you know, we'll switch sports now. We'll go to tennis. That set up, that was a break first set to him, you know. And, and this is just a three set match. I'm struggling at this point, but he gives me a glimmer of hope. He says, "You know what? I'm going to schedule a, um, an appointment for you because to go into the with the pandemic rules at the moment, when you go to the store, you have to have an appointment or else you can't get in the store." So I'll schedule an appointment for you, and they're going to give you a non fiber internet box like router that you're going to be able to use until the fiber is installed in your house. I thought, that's perfect. It's not going to be as fast as I want, but it's better than using my phone as a hotspot. So I turn up today. Now, I turn up, and the thing is, when I first opened my internet plan, like seven years ago here, it was as part of a family plan. So it was like under the, uh, like, uh, under the overall umbrella of my parents' plan, even though it's separate. So it like, gets billed straight out of me and stuff. But technically... They are the owners of the contract. Like it's in there. I names. love it. Mid 30 year old adult still living under the umbrella yeah. of his parents' internet <laughs> and phone and also, service. What I love is that I know how this is set up now. Basically, so, that's yeah. going to be the issue. He needed yeah. them there. Yeah. So I. So he calls so, his mommy up and she no. video chat. <laughs> just video chat next to him, like on the left. Just. <laughs> so, so I. So I get. I come. I turn up for the appointment. I go. Oh yeah. We'll. We'll. You know. Just go in the store. We'll deal with you in a second. Guy comes up, says, what are you here for? I said, you're supposed to have this box waiting for me. I'm just here to pick up the box. Yeah, no problem. Sit down. Can you give me your ID? And I was like, why do you need my ID? He's like, oh, whenever you pick something up, we just take your ID. So I handed him my ID. He goes, well, you're not Carolyn Hewitt. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad it took the ID for you to figure that one out. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we should have uh, called him out right there. That's, yeah, that's I attempted. I, when, when I walked out of the store, I was close. I've been like, I should have just doubled down on this and been like, I used to be. And I've changed. Yeah. <laughs> like, Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, yeah, we can't give it to you then. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, my name's also Hewitt. I have an appointment here. Do you think I'm just randomly walking? I literally said to them, do you think I'm randomly walking around the streets of Paris? 
going into stores, hoping that one of them has an appointment in the name of Hewitt in the, on the off chance that I'll be able to pick up some free items. And he was like, no, obviously the appointment's for you. And I was like, exactly. So just give me the thing that I'm supposed to pick up. No, I love when Eddie does like his, his asshole reasoning to people of things like that, you know, instead of going about it nicely, he has to put this like asshole scenario at them just to get them heated right off the bat. (laughs) The logic, the logic is fantastic. It's like the logic where he's just like, do you just think I've been a moron around the streets of Paris? But wouldn't you just be annoyed if like you were actually doing that and this was like the sixth store you hit and you got a fiber box. (laughs) So close, so close to hitting the sweet, sweet, sweet deal of a a, 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 a wireless router. Was looking for a TV. I'll take I'll take a hundred dollar wireless router. <laughs> yeah, and so then I said, so what's the? He was like, I can't do it. Sorry, I have to scan. I was like, okay, I'll, you know what? I'll get a copy of the passport right now. No, 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 it has to be the original. I have to scan the original. So I was like, oh god, okay. Why? He's like, oh, if not, I'll get into trouble. So I said, who are you going to get into trouble with? And he said, with my manager. I was like, okay, can I speak to your manager then, please? Oh my God, he, is it the same manager? It's the, the guy. Is it no, like this round guy. circle? This no, round that would have been amazing. Circle. That would have been amazing. I would have shook his hand and walked off. I would have just gone, well played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he sees you and he's like, what do you think I am? You think I'm a manager just walks into every store looking <laughs> yeah. to see if and Hewitt is causing issues? <laughs> what you can imagine is like this side story where this guy goes home and he's like, you know what? This guy really rattled me today. He really piss me off i'm i know what he's gonna do now so i've told him to go to this exact store i'm gonna become manager before he gets to that store and play this bastard yeah just a really <laughs> motivated 48 hours on his part yeah worth it but no so she comes over and she says yeah no we can't do that and i said well this is fantastic customer support and customer service and she said i know it is thank you and i left the store <laughs> And that was, that was my day. That was a wonderful, that's how I used my lunch break today. It made me feel great. How many people dead in the streets of Paris? <laughs> God. Not oh, enough. There never is, according to Eddie. <laughs> never is, yeah. There's always more people that could die under Eddie's wrath. Well, Eddie, I guess the only silver lining in that story was Sunday you got saved by one of the most miraculous comebacks in the history of the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I'm one of many, right? Like, that's the thing. In a way, yeah. it ended up being a crazy NFL for a lot of people, anyone who had a bet on, because in the end, all of the heavy favorites ended up winning uh, outright. So, like, for anyone who had a teaser on or just, like, a money line accumulator slash parlay, whatever you want to call it, it ended up... Now, if you're just looking back on the scores, you're like, wow, what a predictable, straightforward day of NFL football. And in reality, it was full of twists and turns. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, the big saving... Grace for me was the the Cowboys' remarkable comeback against the Falcons. Yeah, anyone with the teaser would have done great, except for that one asshole who put the Vikings in plus 10, thinking that they could cover 10 points. (laughs) Wow. You watched that game again? I would doubt it. Her cousins. I I do not like that. (laughs) Well, you know, he did say he was willing to die from the pandemic, and it turns out that he's just doing it every Sunday on the field. Yeah, did you see his passer rating at halftime? It was, it was zero, wasn't it? No, it was 6.4. Oh, because he touched zero at one point. He actually <laughs> yeah, went to zero. It was, it was painful. It was honestly one of the most painful experiences watching Kirk Cousins against the Colts. And then well, obviously and the, the, really reverse- sh- the really shitty part, well, also I, I have to, to finish this, 
the shitty part was it was the only thing that lost in my teaser because like Eddie said, I just took all the favorites and you get six point swings. So most of them were six or seven point to win. So all they had to do is cover. Like even I think I had the Chiefs at minus, uh, minus two. So even they covered with their field goal in overtime, which we can talk about later. But the shitty part about it was up until midway through the fourth quarter, there was still every chance that the Vikings could have at least made it to 10. So the entire time I'm kind of watching this awful, depressing, pitiful game, just praying that somehow Kirk Cousins pulls one out and throws a deep bomb that somehow like the only gets or, or he breaks a tackle or something happens. And instead I had to watch Phillip Rivers just bend me over every series he got the ball in that fourth quarter. It was so depressing. And that was my only loss in a, in a teaser where I bet double the amount I usually do because I was pretty confident in it. Sam really enjoyed that imagery, by the way. <laughs> I could see it on the look on his face. That's why I muted. <laughs> it's getting really hot in here, or is it just me? Yeah, I mean, look, we were all, uh, well, you and I, last on Thursday when we discussed it, we were both kind of had a, we both liked the Vikings. Um, as it transpired, they're just bad. Like, there's yep, no yeah. other... There's no other. And look, I know what happens now. Now is when you start to think the Vikings are bad. And then. And they get hot. Yeah, they come out and they're the team that we thought they were. But uh, no, they're, it's just clear they're, they're bad at this point because they're not. The, I guess the loss to the Packers doesn't look quite so bad now because it's clear that offensively the Packers are just really good. So maybe the week one blowout doesn't look quite so bad. But getting beaten in the way that they were this week yeah. looks awful. And given the fact that the Packers are 2-0 and and just the number of teams that are going to meet, we kind of talked about this right on Thursday, the number of teams in the NFC that are going to have good records, the Vikings season is basically over now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're, we're going to think they're an overrated team until they throw an 80-yard touchdown pass at the end of at the NFC championship to screw us all over. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, conversely, right, it showed – kind of, you know, the Vikings were there showing whether that uh, Packers loss was a fluke or not. And they clearly showed that they are just not a good team. But the Colts went the other way, right? They had that loss against the Jags. They looked pretty bad in it. They gave a lot of yardage away. And then they managed to stop Cousins as well as they did. I don't really know if that was Cousins being terrible or like the Vikings being as bad. But Colts actually looked pretty good. They put some good yardage up. They uh, ran the ball well. They passed the ball well. So it's good to see them flip it the other way. And, and in retrospect, that loss to the Jags doesn't look that bad when the Jags almost took down the Titans yesterday. Mm. Yeah, Although I mean, I don't know. Discuss how good the Titans really are, you know, and how good of a game they really played against them yeah. in that week two scenario. But still, I mean, it does make the Jags look a little better. Yeah. It does marginally. Colts. I still think that Titans game, I mean, I don't have a lot to say on the Titans game, but that was one of those games where the Titans should have won it really easily and they just kind of let the Jags hang around. So... Minshew magic? Yeah. Minshew magic. I mean, he was driving magic? at the end and then uh, had the interception, right? So let's yeah, just say he kept going. Could have, could have been going. Could have been all the way. Could have been a great drive. And you would have seen another Jags win. We, we could have saw a, a quirky ending. Oh, and a quirky quarterback. I mean, just, well, we'll get to see such a quirky ending no matter what on Thursday. So well, I mean, we'll, we can touch on that later. But the oh. quirky Thursday is, is going to be here in full effect. Yep. And teaser alert, this will not be the only time Quirky comes up in this podcast. I have it teed no. up for later. 
Okay. But yeah, I mean, to touch on just to go back to the Cowboys Falcons game, because I mean, I think that's the story of the weekend, even if that game, I mean, it has significance obviously for the Cowboys because the implications for their season, if they had lost that, were not looking great. The Falcons just kind of keeping up their record that they seem to have every year of being the either the good bad team or the bad good team. I don't know where they fall yeah. in that, but like the team that you kind of feel should be a playoff team almost, but then just never quite do it. But they're going to have two or three games this year where they play really well. I did like the stat that they showed after the game. I think there's something like the, the first team in history ever to score 35 plus points and have zero turnovers and lose the game. <laughs> and it's that they're like the so four, bad. They're like the four hundred and thirtieth team to have that stat be true. And until yesterday it was four hundred and thirty and oh or whatever. And now it's four hundred and thirty and one. I mean, if you if you bet on the Falcons, it's a rough Monday. Now the real question yeah. here is because I think Frank and I slightly disagree. Was that a great onside kick? Or was it just a terrible special teams, like a hands team play? No, it was a terrible hand scene play. So Dan Quinn actually addressed this. Obviously, he had to address it. And he said that his players are fully aware of the rule that they can touch it before 10 yards. It's not like they, it's not like the defense can't touch it either. And I understand the risk is if you touch the ball, then it's fair game for the Cowboys. Okay, that's fine. You don't want to do something stupid and like run and try and make a diving grab at a ball that's clearly not going to go 10 yards and risk Dallas getting it. When you're literally standing over the ball, watching it trickle from six yards to seven yards to eight yards, just fall on it. That guy could have fallen on it so easily. He literally watched it between his legs roll for three yards instead yeah, but of he, picking is, it up. Frank, this gives it us... Matter. Frank, this gives us a chance to pull out one of those classic NFL announcer commentator lines. Well, you know, that football is a weird shape, but it bounces in directions that you don't know. It's so slippery. No, you you can't let that ball roll that much if you have that good of an opportunity to jump on it. I agree with you. I think that's just a terrible play by them. Or if you're going to do that, then block the shit out of the Cowboys players. Don't watch the ball roll in between your legs and let the Cowboy players get as close as they are to the ball so when it gets to 10, then they can just fall on it. Either you do one or the other. You jump on it or you beat the shit out of the Cowboys away from the ball. You don't just watch the ball roll and the Cowboys stand there waiting for it to jump on it. It was such a bad play. So I agree with you that someone should have just fallen on it and overall to me it's like amazing relatively speaking how bad nfl players are at like either falling on balls or like picking up basically stationary balls like the skill involved in that to me like it stuns me whenever you watch like even just a fumble and people really struggle with that yeah so in this instance it's mind-blowing that no one fell on it the only thing i will say from the actual kick technique standpoint the fact that he got the perfect weight on it like that's it was a great kick. That's what does it for them because I think the thing that probably for all the guys up front, what they're thinking is like this isn't going ten, so don't touch it. It's not going ten because it looked like it was going to stop at like six, and so I think what saved him in a way is because it was going so slowly. It was like don't do anything stupid because this isn't going ten, and then it was like okay, it's seven. It's not eight. It's not nine. It's not oh shit, they got the ball. Yeah, like, and I think that's what was so great about it. 
the, the only thing I'll give them is I don't think anyone has ever seen a kick, an onside kick like that before without a tee, kicking it on the side like he did and rolling it around, like the way it rolled. So maybe, like you were saying, they were a little just confused as the situation, not thinking it was going to make it because they've never seen a kick move like that before. But if you have that chance, at the very beginning, that guy had a chance to fall on it so easily and it would have just ended the game. Yeah, I mean, there is another universe, right, where that kick, because it didn't look like it was going the full 10. And if he falls on it and he, like, brushes it and then a Cowboys player picks it up, the reverse, everyone is like, why did you fall on it? All you had to do was not touch it and it wasn't going 10 yards. So you can kind of see from a player's perspective. But, yeah, I know, I think it's a major mess up. I will say I have to own up to the fact I didn't watch it live. I gave up on the Cowboys game and I was resigned to the fact that they were going to lose. So I did Eddie, watch Eddie it. Was, Eddie was one and a half foot on his window sill ledge yeah. at yeah. that point. <laughs> <laughs> then he just happened to see a message you know, by me and Sam was, in the chat and he, no, he turned over his shoulder. I could just hear, I could hear the announcers in the background, you know, but I was just like, you know, I was like, goodbye, sweet world. And then just at that moment, just about to kick the stool, suddenly heard, oh, the Cowboys have it. <laughs> You know what, Frank, when he was on his windowsill and he looked down, do you know who was on the ground level? It was that orange manager. It's like, I got you. I got you. <laughs> he was live. He was live Facebook no, videoing he's just it. Holding up, yeah, he's holding up a picture of the fiber box. <laughs> I might have to, you know, like Conor McGregor after the sexual assault allegations or, you know, not sexual assault, but sort of public indecency allegations. Um, he came out his in his response denying it. His opening line was, as much as everyone wants it, I'm not going to kill myself. I might have to start saying this to like customer support people. Like, you are <laughs> not going to push me over the edge. You might think you can do it, but trust me, you can't. That's funny. Yeah, I've had enough one-bet losses in my life to um, borderline suicide, but not actually yeah, go through with it. Exactly. And you are the ninth person I've had to speak to for a different service this week. So trust me, been there, done that. So the other big comeback game was the afternoon game with, for the Chiefs, which overall, it was pretty good football for week two. Better than week one. You had the Cowboys win, you had the Chiefs come back, and then you had a Really good Sunday night football game made interesting by Cam Newton almost being allowed to come back in that game. It shouldn't have been as close as it was, but it made for an absolute killer of an ending. And the Giants almost pulled off a miraculous win. But we don't need to talk about the Giants. Unfortunately, they did not. <laughs> yeah, we can just skip that. That game goes down as one of the least eventful games of the NFL season, so we don't Are you sure? Because, because one of the number one fantasy players was out for the year because of it, so it's not that not Okay, this is the only thing I will say is, obviously, I think we're probably going to touch on the numerous injuries later on. What I will say is you and I have had a debate regularly about do you ever spend a high draft pick on a running back? And I think Saquon Barkley is like an incredible running back. Uh, that being said, this is the nail in the coffin to me, for me on the argument of ever spending like a top 20 pick. Like, I wouldn't spend a first rounder on a running back at this point. And like, I would this, spend like a late first rounder. I wouldn't. Is that what the Chiefs at, did? The, the Chiefs, yeah, the 32nd pick. Yeah. I think that late will end up round. being, a, yeah, I think that ends up being a mistake. It's exciting now, but it won't be exciting when he either, 
like has it fumbles the ball for six games and gets cut or gets injured and never comes back. Like the, the things that happen to running backs or you draft a fifth round rookie two years from now, that guy gets a few carries and looks really good. And that guy's lost his job. Like there's just so many good running backs that pop up in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, or even undrafted. I don't get why you would spend a high draft pick on one. Well, I'm, I, I would love to argue this. Maybe we save it for another one. I agree on the running back situation. And the reason I agree is because they're so easily turned over. You'll see all the time where you have this star running back on a team and he's racking up points and then he gets hurt. And then two weeks later, there's some unknown guy. And then you hear every time, every time it's this, oh my God, this guy came out of nowhere and he's amazing. Look how great he is. No, maybe he's not that great. Maybe he's just in a good system because the superstar that he replaced is putting up the same numbers. You know, and you see that a lot. And a great example is James Conner in Pittsburgh. You had Le'Veon Bell, who was this amazing, amazing running back, the best running back in the NFL maybe ever. Look at these stats. He goes to the Jets, sucks. He's off the team, whatever. I don't even remember now if he's officially off. No, then he's you had not James... on the team. <laughs> he was just injured. Well, he's on week. IR, right? He's on yeah, IR. He's, he is, we're not breaking news here. He is still no. on the team. He is still a Jet. And then you have James Conner step in, and it's this amazing story about how great James Conner's doing. Well, maybe he's just in a really good system that can run the ball well, no matter who's there. You know, and I think that's always been the case for most running backs. Where nowadays, if the in the modern era, good. I think yeah, back in the and I the think, thing is because there's so many good athletes too, that like Saquon Barkley is, without a doubt, at the highest level of how athletically talented he is. But a lot of backs, they're so similar between the first, second, and even third string from an athletic standpoint that they can just fill in good systems and you, don't, you rarely see that much of a decrease in their production of the running game production. This is also, right, for Barkley, a little bit unfortunate become, because it came in the game after Tiki Barber kind of publicly went after him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, for anyone who didn't hear it, Tiki Barber was basically critical of him saying that his uh, his blocking isn't good enough and that he's a liability as a running back because he can pick up rushers when he's not asked to actually carry the ball. And kind of seemed like a semi-fair criticism, I suppose. It just seemed a weird Well, move. it was there was one block that he terribly, terribly missed in that game. I mean, it was it got Jones killed. So that's probably where it came from. But the thing I was going to say about your not drafting running backs, could you right now also make the case that it's a terrible move to draft a quarterback in the first round or early? I, I would say no. Let's let's wait, let's go through, right? Who's the best QBs Mahomes. Yeah. He's, he's a first round pick, isn't he? Yeah. He's a first round pick, but he's not a high one. He was the sixth pick taken six quarterback taken. Yeah, okay, but he was a first-rounder. Lamar Jackson? First-rounder. But not the first QB taken at all. He no, was like, but... what, also the fifth or sixth? Yeah. Drew Brees? Okay. He wasn't there, a first-rounder. Aaron yeah. Rodgers? Was a first-rounder, right? I know he... he Very he was, late. Yeah, but he, uh, Aaron Rodgers was a bizarre one too, right? Because it was the Rodgers versus Smith. Smith goes number one, and then Rodgers dropped. But Rodgers was... Was he was like 25th battle. or something. He was in a battle for the number one. So like, uh, I think Rogers still kind of gets classified as a, as a high draft pick. 
25th, I think. 24th or Wilson. Wilson was like a fourth rounder, I think, off the top of my head. Um, Cam, I guess I'll go through him so you can think. Cam Newton was a first rounder. I mean, Cam Newton's not top five anymore. Cam Newton was number one overall, I think. He was number one overall. He was. You know what I mean? So even right now, with the way this league's set up, I, I think wasting a top 10 pick on a quarterback might even be a legitimate argument. My argument, I, I would agree with you, but the, here's the difference. I think, I think statistically you are no more likely to be successful drafting a quarterback in the top 10 than you are, say, draft, drafting a quarterback in the, first, in the third to the fifth round. Whereas statistically from a quarterback perspective, you're definitely far more likely to get a regular starter out of a guy taken in the first round than you are out of a guy taken in the fifth round. Like there are obviously people yeah. like Tom Brady or Drew Brees. They are the exceptions. But like realistically, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, that guy's probably going to turn into an NFL starter. Yeah, I just think, I mean, we can go through the list. In the past five years, you have Jared Goff was taken number one overall. Fine. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Yeah, and you'd have to say Jared Goff – you know, the jury's still out on him a little bit, but fundamentally he was part of one of the historically best offenses and then went to a Super Bowl, lost a close Super Bowl, admittedly one in which he didn't really turn up. And then last year, like, they were the only winning, they were the only team not to make the playoffs with a winning record. He actually didn't have quite as bad of a year as people made out. And so if this people year... People made out? Know, yeah. If this year he bounces back, which so far through two weeks he has bounced back, at that point you're going to say like that guy is firmly in the top 15, arguably in the top 10. So you would say not a bad number one overall pick. Baker Mayfield, jury is definitely bust. still out. <laughs> He's not in the bust category for me, but it depends. Week one, bust. Week two, he looked pretty good on Thursday night, I got to say. And he had his like full-on Baker swagger back. And that was good to see. If you want Baker to be do well, just to, the way he carried himself and his energy on Thursday night was exactly what you wanted to see from him. And what I like about Baker when he does have the swagger and the energy is it's not just the kind of asshole pompous swagger. There's like a focused energy behind it, which was what you saw on Thursday, which was like there was a high confidence and it was the, it was the Baker who said, like, I woke up feeling dangerous this morning. Like it was that guy. But at the same time, it was a guy who woke up feeling dangerous, who was focused on winning and not just focused on getting grabbing some headlines. And then you forgot about the, the star, Kyler Murray. Murray, which, look, it's too early to tell, but he looks great this year. He looks great. Which and like, I think brings up the difficult conversation Eddie has to have. Is, are the Niners done this year and do they have mm -hmm. a chance to win the nfc west or to even make the playoffs they've got a really good chance to make the playoffs because with the expanded playoffs they could finish third in the nfc west and make the playoffs they could conceivably finish fourth that would be and make crazy. The playoffs. but like i actually think that three teams from the nfc west are making the playoffs like i think that's all four like, could do it all four could, but I think that just because of beating each other, that's unlikely to happen. But I, I think definitely three will make it. Now, the thing that saves the Niners with the – obviously, it looks like Bosa's out for the year. That's Bosa huge. Is torn ACL and done. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Garoppolo's, 
Garoppolo's yeah. out for a couple of uh, weeks. It's a high ankle Garoppolo sprain. Garoppolo has a labia sp- sprain or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but here's the thing is, right? I, and I'm a Garoppolo fan, but Mullins, when he filled in for Garoppolo two years ago, looked good. And a lot of people were arguing, even when Garoppolo came back, that Mullins should have kept the job. Now, I'm going to say that there's not a significant drop enough enough drop off from Garoppolo to Mullins where I'm concerned from a quarterback standpoint. They've got running back injuries, but kind of touching on the subject we had before, even though like Mostert's like clearly the best at the moment, they're kind of plug and play in the backfield and whoever they put out there puts up yards and they've got Except they've Mostert got a, is fast, man. Yeah, I mean that opening That 80 yard touchdown. Yeah, that 80 that yard was, was mental. But Literally, okay, maybe also hurt. One, yeah, he's hurt, but if he doesn't play next week, I don't think that hurts their running game. Now, Bose is the real issue, and they're going to have to bring an edge rusher in because also and, D, D Ford's like constantly injured. Well, he's coming back, but someone else is hurt for them on their D line. Yeah, I mean, they're all hurt apart from um, Armstead. Like everyone else who was starting for them last year is either hurt or, in the case of DeForest Buckner, gone. Um, but, uh, like D Ford's just constantly injured. I mean, he just, just permanently his whole career. He's been yeah. injured all the time, except that one season he wasn't injured and he put up crazy numbers. Now they have options like Clay Matthews is hanging out, hanging around out there. They could go oh, and sign Clay Matthews as an edge rusher. That's just a team to fill, ruiner. Just to fill a void. There's other players too. Like, the thing that's also going to save them, they were lucky they were playing the Jets this week because the Jets are terrible. So even with getting hit by injuries during the game that severe, they never look like losing. They're also safe because next week they're playing the Giants. And even a beaten up Niners, you're going to beat the Giants. But realistically, I think even with the injuries they have, when you look at their schedule, they can squeak out three from the next four. So they have the Giants yeah. and then the Eagles. Win. Win. Dolphins. Eagles look terrible. Win. Dolphins play yeah, they a lot tougher. They're putting up efforts. Rams. Lost. Patriots. I, Seahawks. Oof. Ooh, so, the pa- so t- here's the thing is, I would, on paper, assuming that they don't make any big trades or big signings and assuming all those injuries are as severe as first thought. Now, bear in mind, they've got people who will come back in that time period too. Like Debo Samuel will come back. Uh, the assumption would be that Kittle would be back at least within the next couple of weeks. On paper, I would say they're going to lose to the they're going to lose the Seahawks and they're going to lose to the Rams. But I would say that there's all the others are a win, apart from the Patriots, which would maybe be a toss up. But I would still say I would I give them a chance. And so that's why I'm not willing to write off their season yet. I'm writing off. They're not winning the division. I think we all picked them to win the division. That's gone. They're just not going to win the division now. But I think they can I mean, still who, make the playoffs. Who is? This division is just looking deadly. I, I mean, the Cardinals, granted, they were playing the Redskins, but again, looked really, really good. Oh. I mean, Kyler Murray seems to have improved leaps and bounds and yeah. we talked about that when we talked racist about our preview I mean, he had a racist frank. racist what oh, we are not sorry. Washington, Washington football team, football team. <laughs> you remember you remember off um when we were off the podcast and I said how many times are people gonna mess up this season there's you want yeah <laughs> I did it but Murray he had what 
280, a touchdown, and then two rushing touchdowns. Look, I'm not going to – I'm not going to – the Cardinals look good. I think they – they snuck here's one the out. issue with the they Cardinals snuck one out against the Niners and they beat uh, yeah yeah they they beat a very bad team I'm not going to overreact but to that the issue with them is then they play the Lions the Panthers and the Jets so assuming yeah, nothing crazy the Cardinals are coming out five and oh yeah which is crazy that you know if they, they can just pull off three out of the next rest of the season they're an eight win team already you know and then you have but Frank, you have the Seahawks. Hold on, hold on, hold, hold your horses a little bit here. Or they do what the Cardinals do, and they lose to the Lions. And even if they're four and one after that start, then you go lose to the Rams, lose to the Seahawks, lose to the Seahawks, lose to the Rams, lose. Uh, they're going to be, you know, and then suddenly you go, oh, the the Cardinals finished eight and eight. Well, I don't think that's going to be possible because they also play the Giants. They also play. The Dolphins. Oh, wait, hold so, on a second. I thought, the, to quote you from a few minutes ago, the Dolphins, they're putting up efforts. <laughs> they are putting up efforts, but the Cardinals are a much better team than the Niners. I mean, the Niners look awful, and they have no Hold on, anymore. hold on, hold on, hold on. That seems... Well, Maybe there's the, some goading there. I think there's goading. <laughs> oh, of course, it's Frank. There's always goading. It's his middle name, but... The... Thanks, thanks, Mom and Dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no. Look, let's 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 see what happens. I, the Cardinals could be good, but uh, as someone who obviously follows the NFC West closely every year, there have been lots of years where the Cardinals have looked pretty good for a couple of weeks, and then they either lose to a team they shouldn't have lost to, or look, they're one injury away. This is, I think, you see the number of injuries there were last week. Clearly, well, this week, clearly the lack of a preseason is going to lead to f- more injuries than, than usual because players aren't in the sort of condition that they normally would be in when they're starting to play full speed. And then on top of it, too, I mean, in the, in the Niners case, obviously there's an issue. They're complaining about the, the, con- the field uh, at MetLife, which is concerning because they're playing there again in, in six days. So if five of them got went out in this game and five of them go out in the next game, I might be I'm I'm a couple of weeks away from playing for PSG with all the suspensions and the coronavirus, and then I'm a couple of weeks more away from playing for the Niners. I might be the first NFL slash league on player. <laughs> I don't think that record would ever be broken. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Something for us to aim for. Yeah. Think how much the podcast would take off. Yeah, that so, would be impressive. So who's your best team in the NFC West right right now? Seahawks. Seahawks, yeah. Yeah. What is it? I mean, Russell Wilson twice now has just looked so good. It's just – it was great to watch. It was great to see anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, defensively they were a little questionable, I have to say, and they also had a few injuries that might make them struggle defensively. But when you just look at the, the way Wilson is playing right now, he there's been some elite quarterback players play from several different people. I mean, from Lamar Jackson, from Aaron Rodgers, from uh, Mahomes. But through two through two weeks, I would say Wilson has looked the best, and yeah. his performance last night was was like incredible Unreal. against a secondary a Patriots secondary that is good. That's the other issue too. Like you know that Patriots like I mean they said during the game right that stat that last year. 
the Patriots only gave up four touchdowns to wide receivers, and they gave up yeah. more than four touchdowns to wide receivers in that game alone. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. I, the, the thing with um, Wilson as well, I think he threw to five different receivers as well. So he can clearly go. He's got loads of different weapons to go. I, I just think it looks really good for Wilson at the moment. And their receivers are good. That's the other thing, too. It's not a situation. He has legitimate weapons around him in the wide receiver yeah. position. Yeah. DK Metcalf is an absolute freak. He is insane. I, I, don't, I still don't get how he slipped through the cracks in the draft this much. Just purely on the fact of his combine alone was – he put up absolutely ridiculous numbers and is shredded to the max, but on the field now he is backing it up. I mean that, so he had that touchdown catch over Gilmore, which he basically, the ball was even a little underthrown. Like it wasn't a bad throw by Wilson, but it wasn't a perfect throw. He kind of leaned back and just snatched it right from Gilmore. And I thought the really neat fact was that was the first TD reception Stefan Gilmore is allowed in two seasons when he was the nearest defender. So he had 104 targets without allowing a TD since that one. It's crazy. I mean, no one scores off of Stefan Gilmore and he just blew by him and ripped the ball right out from under him to score. Like they look well, good, well, I, but you're right. I, I, I actually think you're doing a dis, I think you're doing a disservice to Gilmore there because my argument would be that like Gilmore's play on that was basically perfect. No, he was burnt. A better throw, oh, he, a better throw, throw, he looks even worse. He was burnt. He had two steps on him. Gone. I, we have to, we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. I think well, we A can just was watch a pretty it perfect, afterwards and you can agree with me. I think A is a pretty perfect throw because I think whenever you're like, Wilson was about to get hit. So the idea that he was like under throwing it, like the fact that he managed to get the ball off in the way that he did is pretty crazy, which I think was true of a couple of the throws he made last night. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying it was a bad throw by that. I'm saying in terms of like where would, where would you optimally want that ball put? Metcalf had to turn back and catch it as opposed to being two, two steps clear of Gilmore and over the shoulder. He would have – Gilmore wouldn't even come close to touching him. All right. We'll have to agree to disagree. I mean, we'll just watch it. The thing with that Seahawks game though, right, was uh, apart from the last goal stand at the end – we would have been talking about how good Cam was in that game because he was, he was great. I mean, I looked at his like third down conversions in that game and he was basically like, uh, I think it was like seven for seven, 87 yards, like three runs. I think there was one sack. And obviously if it wasn't for that goal line stop, you've got the Patriots winning and suddenly you're flipping the QB argument. You'd say Cam's had two really good games and he still has, but all we're doing at the moment is talking about how good Russell Wilson was. Of course he was, but it was, I still think the Pats played really well in that game and they still look a pretty good outfit. They did. And Cam Newton played really well. And I think also he deserves credit because like he did the thing Cam Newton does really well, which is he's just unstoppable in the red zone when he decides to keep the ball until the goal line at the end. But he, he was really accurate with his passing, which is like the thing with Cam Newton. You're always worried about that. He's just going to make a couple stupid throws. That being said, even though they, the Patriots could have ne- very nearly won that game and arguably maybe should have, given the situation they were in on the final play. Watching it, I just always felt like the Seahawks were way better. And it was kind of confusing as to how the Patriots were sort of still in the game. Like you had the pick six to start the game off. You had like all these like little plays. I didn't get the Seahawks decision on the third and one 
like which gave the Patriots the ball back down five, how you don't just run the ball. Because if nothing else, you would have forced them to use a timeout, which that timeout ended up being pretty crucial to allowing them to kind of comfortably move down the field. But also it's just like, I think they were averaging over five yards a carry. I never get, sometimes NFL head coaches, they just overthink it. They just literally, which I have to give the Patriots credit to in a way, when they had that goal line, like the final play of the game, in my mind, I was like, I know what they're going to do here. Everyone thinks that Cam is going to keep the ball and they're going to do something. They're going to overthink it and they're going to do something else, even though he's looked unstoppable. And my only criticism of the play is they just turned him into a running back because they just brought everyone in and then just had him run to the left. It made, whereas everything else, they've been spreading the wide receivers out and then they'd have been having him kind of like drop back and then, and then go which also gave him the option in certain other of the situations where he did run it in of still passing if he wanted to, which they did do actually on the one touchdown where he just like dumped it over. The the one touchdown was the identical play design as the play they ran at that last game, except the fullback chipped off of the D end and then went out for the pass. So it was like, it looked exactly like a designed run. And then you just have that fullback chip off and he threw him that touchdown pass. And that was pretty much the exact same, except they went the other way, but the exact same layout of the play. So I think maybe they were thinking that they would bite on the fact that he was going to throw again and they wouldn't be as aggressive to get him. But I agree. I don't understand in that option when you have Cam Newton, I love the idea of running him, but give him an option. I don't think he should just, I don't think it should just be like a design QB run, like you're saying, as the running back. Give him the option where, he can run, he can make that off tackle run, but then that there's also maybe like a tight end trailing in the back of the end zone where if he gets five guys coming to him and he knows he can't make it, then just throw it up and, and have a chance. Like he yeah. had no chance that play when he was just running, when he didn't have an option and Seattle just seemed to want that play more. And there well, was, and, and I, what I hate, what I hated about that was they kept saying like, Oh, what a great play by this one guy to shed his block and be there to make the tackle. There was like seven guys there to make the tackle. Well, I mean, the one big the, thing, the Seahawks just completely dominated that play. <laughs> well, no, the one big defensive play that they had was the guy who blew through the fullback and who actually blows through the fullback and makes the first contact with Cam Newton. I agree with but you. Just the other guy that was also right there at the probably, same time. Do you know what I mean? Probably. Like, but you are also, I guess, from the, the what you're saying with the identical play design, just flip play. If he hadn't blown through the fl- blown through the fullback, then maybe the, fl- the fullback is there for the pass. The thing I just don't get is you have this like unstoppable force in Cam Newton. Spread the field and get as few. Like, Why would you have all 11 players in his way? Yeah, like yeah. why don't you just stick like have two wide receivers out wide on each side, just and so that you know that when he takes off, okay, maybe there's two or three guys he has to get through, not seven. Like yeah. I don't. That's the, the only way he's getting through is a bundle, right? There's no real creativity yeah. in what's going on there. Well, that's, getting, well, that's the other bundling thing. over or getting pushed over in a way. Well, that's the other thing. If you're going to do that, just run him up the middle. Just have him full steam go through well, the exactly. Trying up, right? But the fact that you like we're going to put all eleven players in this small zone and then we're just going to have him run to the edge and just hope that we win because basically they're at that point you're removing the strength of cam newton and you're hoping that your blockers do the job at that moment like it doesn't matter that he's cam newton and that that's the bit that doesn't make yeah. any sense and and that's that's the annoying part too is i don't understand if you looked at that game the patriots weren't running the ball well at all 
I don't think they even had a hundred yards running. I don't think they even had like fifty yards running. Maybe. I, well, they Cam did Newton, not run I think, the ball well. I think Cam Newton led. I think he had like forty-five. Cam Newton. Yeah. He, he led the rushing. He led the them in rushing, and then. Um, Sony yeah, Michelle, I, had, I just pulled it up. Sony, Sony Michelle, Michelle had twenty like 50, yards. Yeah. 50. Now here's the one thing I will say. I so, so if that, they're not running the ball well, why are here's, you, I, you I, designing I gotta, a run on, play? Because that was a run on. play, Frank. I, I think this is where the the Patriots running backs are going to get a little bit killed over the course of this season for one simple reason, and that's going to be teams are going to sell out trying to stop Cam Newton from running the ball, and in the process they are just going to stop the run overall for the Patriots. So I do think I feel a little bit sorry at times for um, some of the Patriots running backs. Now, obviously they were missing white as well yesterday. He would for, you know, sad reasons. Um, But I just think that in a way you're not putting your running back in the best position to succeed a lot of times too. Cause like when it's an RPO and you can kind of like, if Cam Newton either doesn't get the read right and so he hands it off and this guy is just getting stuffed. Or more importantly, I think sometimes in his mind, he might even think, uh-oh, someone's going to get stuffed here. And I'd rather it was this guy than me. So here you go. You take the ball because this linebacker is just closing in on us. I think no Patriots running back is going to excel this year. Yeah, and, and that's, that's fine. And I, I agree with you 100%. So if that's the case, if they're selling out for the run, why is your go-to play a designed run? Make it an RPO. Make it something with an option to run if he, if he can, but to give him the ability to do something else if they sell out for the run, which on that play, they had sold out for the run. I mean, by the time he got hit, nine guys were on top of him in the backfield. I mean, they were sold out for the run. And that's why I don't agree with that. I don't mind oh, no, I mean, well, we, putting we both the ball in it, his right? hand, right? I, I yeah. just, it's a designed run, I think, is a stupid call there. And here's the only thing you, you also know my fundamental opinion, which I'd never get when you have a mobile quarterback, just roll them out and just run the play where he's rolling out to his, like assuming he's a right-handed quarterback, he's rolling out to his right and he has one or two receivers or a running back coming out of the backfield, basically running perpendicular directly in front of him. And I think that's such an unstoppable play because either, either they have to come to try and close down the quarterback, in which case he probably like almost always has an easy pass, or they don't go to close them down and he can pick it up himself. And then the Seahawks did it themselves, right? Like one of their, their first touchdown was, I think exactly that was Wilson rolling out and then finding Lockett. To me, that's the and, thing. That, and the Mahomes I would just run that play. Conversion, same play. Yeah, I would just Hold run that out, play he had three guys every time. Yeah, yep. and for any of our fans that have ever played Eddie at Madden, will know that that is constantly his play. So probably Tim or myself, that it, he he does not throw in the pocket. That is just something that never happens. He will just roll out and he will run or he will bomb down the field. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm consistent. I'm I'm the head coach that, oh, yeah, I, would yeah. want, that I would want. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a it was a great game to watch. It was a good Sunday night game, and it was enjoyable too because you're coming off of the the Chiefs comeback, which was a pretty impressive comeback for Mahomes. Uh, and I'm sure everyone is talking about how great Mahomes is. And Eddie and I had discussed it while it was happening. He he didn't have a great game up until that fourth quarter, but there's something just about him where he gets put into these tough situations, they were down and out. I mean, I thought, I thought they were done. And he just shines in that situation. It's as if he just doesn't care and plays looser and 
better and just more efficient. It's, it's crazy to me. I, he is one of those once in a generation people that no matter the situation, he's just going to play his game and he's going to make those crazy throws and those crazy rollouts and try stuff that I think a lot of other people in that situation would be too nervous that they were going to blow the game because it's, they're already down. And he just doesn't like, that doesn't seem to happen for him. It was fun to watch. I mean, he's, he's exciting to watch. I could watch him play like that all the time. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think overall he had a pretty bad game and the comeback covers up for the fact that their, their offense was anemic for 75% of that game. And that if he'd they actually were lacking had a, iron, exactly. They, they were. And if, if he, if he had, if he had been 50% of his usual self, they would have won that game comfortably. So I think that there is that element, like he did not look good. And so to me, it's always interesting where, you can have a bad game, but then you have the key, like two final drives and suddenly everyone praises your performance. And the reality is like, no, 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 no. He was a D for 80% of the game and he's been an A plus. I say a D. <laughs> I would say- I love how harsh you are. Okay, I'll give him a C. I mean, what? I mean, he didn't do anything you? bad. He didn't I, throw well, picks, I mean, he didn't fumble. I guess three, if three and outs don't count as being bad. You're right. They had no turnovers. That was the only saving grace is there was only one turnover in the game and that was the Herbert deep throw. And that was the key play, right? Like if he hadn't done that, they're done without that interception. That's game over. Um, To me, the star of the show though, clearly is Butker. And here's the question I have to like, obviously for anyone who didn't see it, you got into this situation. I didn't like it. They were fourth and one in overtime. Set the scene a little better. Yeah, I didn't actually see the game, so I'd like to okay, hit so, it. Yeah, so a, he set hits, the scene he, for Sam. So he hits a game-tying uh, field goal to send the game to overtime, which was like a 35-yarder. It was, for him, a chip shot gimme. Like, and there in the first would, half, he, so he, he had hit he a tied, 58-yarder, right? Yeah, he hit a 58-yarder, which tied Crushed the fran- franchise record and probably would have been good from like 65. Then they get into overtime, now, this is the issue I have from the Chargers' perspective. I think they lost that game because they became too conservative in both the fourth quarter and then definitely in overtime. The Chargers had a fourth and one. Admittedly, it was on their own, like, 40 maybe, something like that, on their first possession. Closer. And they, yeah, and they it decided It might have been, to, like, 35. Yeah, they decided to punt. And to me, I just think you have to realize that when you're then in a situation where the Chiefs just need a field goal to win – you have to go for it because once you've given the ball back to the chiefs, your win percentage is probably 15%. And they were hot at that point. They had scored what their last three drives or two drives, you know, they they looked to me, you have to ask yourself like, which one of these is more likely we stop the chiefs from picking up 30 yards, which is what they need then for a field goal attempt, or we pick up a fourth and one. And if you have any faith, and then the Chargers were running the ball pretty well that game, so you should have ju- they should have just gone for it. And they you have know. a mobile QB. Justin Herbert is actually was, really, really fast. Who was running people over? Also, that's the other. Yeah. That was the big He's takeaway from that game is he was injuring players tackling him, which was. I'll talk about my love wow. for Justin Herbert later, but, but well, the, Eddie, so, did you Eddie, hear so who to keep also going, said? The, the wait, wait, Chiefs, real quick. Did, did you hear who also said that they should go for it? Herbert? No. Tony Romo, who was announcing the game, said, if I'm the Chargers, 
you have to go for it here on fourth and one. Because if we give the ball back to the Chiefs, consider it game over. <laughs> and he <Yeah>. was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And for example, you know, there was the interesting one. Like last week, the Texans kind of took that approach against the Chiefs because they went for it, I think, on a fourth and one, like in the first half, didn't they? On, yeah. on their own like 30 or 40 and they turn the ball over and it was one of those things that looks stupid but it's like if you're going to beat the chiefs you probably just have to do this like you have to keep the ball out of their hands anyway so sam they punted the ball back to the chiefs the chiefs kind of like gradually made their way to the edge of field goal range and then had a fourth and one uh and it was going to be a 53 yard field goal and again watching the game i just thought you go for this you don't try and kick a 53-yard field goal, which because then if you miss it, you also lose the territory. Like you, they, the Chargers get the ball from where the kick was actually taken. So you're then giving the Chargers the ball on basically midfield. And so there was only about two, two, minutes, two left. minutes left. So it would have been the, the Chargers would have gotten the ball back and it would have been the last drive of the game. Yeah. So you give them the chance to, in a worst-case scenario, gain nine yards and try like a – 60 yard field goal to potentially win it anyway you, you know they, they it would have been 20 yards they could have won that game yeah yeah, yeah. that makes no sense to me like you you, so, you back your offense to get yeah. one well, now, the here's, at here's, the least it's the right chiefs. it's the chiefs now it's here's the, chiefs. the thing is and they'd already converted a fourth and one on the drive now here's on a play that i actually hated the play they ran on the fourth and one because i never liked the idea like it was a handoff but i never like when you actually like go back to give it to your running back and so lose yardage. So you make your running back from a fourth and one effectively started like five yards behind the line of scrimmage. I never like that idea because you are just giving time for someone to get into the backfield and make the tackle. Now it worked out, but anyway, Sam, they get the, they attempt the, uh, they attempt the 50 goes to attempt this 53 yard field goal nails it, but there was a false start on the offense. So they move them back five yards. That's 58. So this first one is 53. He hits it. It's starting to drift left, but he still makes it in probably by about what? Like three, couple, four feet? couple feet, yeah. But it yeah. would have been good distance-wise. It would have been good from like 65. Wait, but, wow. but it so might have went wide left at 65. Yeah. So now and we're going so to 58. Then, yeah. So then they go back And now to you're in a shitty situation. Now it's fourth and six. So now you can't go for it. Yeah. So most people, in my mind at this point, I was like, just punt it. Because now even more, you're giving the Chargers five more yards if you attempt it. So you, you're really losing the game if he misses it. Now he goes to go for it. They ice him. So they call a timeout right as he's about to take the kick. He oh, nails the kick. Drills it. Wow. So now you're going, now he's going he's gonna to attempt a third 50-plus yard field goal, at which point you just got to be like, the odds of him doing this yeah. are so slim. Like, you basically, he's hit three 50-plus yard field goals in the space of 90 seconds and uh, does it. And it was the best field goal he'd taken. He absolutely nailed it right down the middle and would if, have been good from 65, 70. 70. <laughs> 70. If he, he drilled the second one and I said, wow, that – that was his kick. Like he's done now. There's no way. And then he doubles down on the third one and kicks it even better. It was super impressive. Now here's the question, Frank, how many would you have, if you'd been Andy Reed, like how many times would he have had to have retaken it before you had decided no, we're not, we're going to punt now, not assume they're not losing distance. And obviously the chargers couldn't have called multiple timeouts, but let's just say some like bizarre scenarios that happened 
where he just keeps being forced to retake it? Like, what's the number before you would have been like, now switch to the punt? Oh, I think you just keep going. If he's he on his eleventh he attempt. He's like, he's gassed. His leg is about to fall off, and you're just like, doing well, it again. Well, Eddie, at that point, the statistics would tell you he's gonna make it. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and this is the interesting. Yeah, I think thing, at that right? point you just keep going. This is the interesting thing for the Chiefs to also have the best kicker in the league. It's, it's a crazy combination. It's just crazy to like, not only you've got this offense, that's so hard to stop. And now you're basically saying once they get to the, your 45, yeah. they've scored. Probably got three. So you, yeah. you, you don't even have to get out of your half to have a shot. <laughs> no, I mean, it means that when you kick off to them, they need 20 yards and they're in, <laughs> you know, like that's it. They need yeah. two first downs and it's like, okay, three points. Yeah, that was, I mean, even when they went for the 58 in the first half, I was questioning it. You know, like, is it worth the risk of trying to kick a 58-yard field goal and give the other team the ball back? And then he just drilled it. It wasn't even a question. And then he started thinking, yeah, wow, the first, maybe he's a pretty the good kicker. I will say <laughs> and then you see the, the overtime. <laughs> the first half one was the least convincing because that one kind of had like a bit of curve on it. That one, which maybe he did intentionally, I don't, I never know from the kicker standpoint there where like when they're trying to do that for one, re- if it's because of the, I mean, there shouldn't have been any wind in that stadium, but you never know. But um, that was the least convincing of them, but he obviously he had significant distance left. Yeah. I'll say one thing that's starting to get annoying watching the chiefs. How many times are we going to hear that Mahomes got engaged? And they, they pull the double thing where he got his Super Bowl ring and then he gave his girlfriend the ring every oh, on time. The, Frank has turned on Mahomes. It's no, September, I haven't turned on Mahomes. I've September turned on the, the people commentating on Mahomes. They also talked about his birthday a lot, Frank, which is what you it did was last Thursday. Yeah, they did that. Yeah. And you know who else? Shout out to Mahomes. Was? Happy birthday. He was also Deshaun Watson's birthday. Who had the better birthday? Well, Mahomes. <laughs> It's not close because <laughs> Deshaun Watson is is zero and two, uh, and and even though crushed. he signed a very even though he signed a very nice contract, Deshaun Watson, I mean, um, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes signed a much bigger contract. So yeah, I, I'll happily take Deshaun Watson's con- uh, birthday if if that's coming up for my next birthday, uh, I'll take it. But <laughs> if I have a choice between his birthday and Mahomes's, uh, could I please have the Mahomes birthday package? Yeah. And you know, so, while we're talking, while we're talking about birthday boys who had a uh, had a good day, well, I'll bring up a topic that I spoke to you guys about that I know neither one of you is going to have any real input on. But Saturday, you're just talking to the viewers, basically. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought he was going to mention that you both missed my birthday last week, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's all yeah. we got time for. <laughs> but. Uh, Saturday, one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of the, the Tour de France. And the winner, who was 21, second youngest winner of the Tour de France in history, uh, Pogacar turned 22, I think, Sunday or today. So he also had a nice birthday. He's up there with competing with Mahomes for uh, who had the best birthday this year. Thrilling. It was thrilling. If you if you have even a mild interest in cycling, it was one of the more impressive performances I've ever seen. Uh, just for context, just to sum it up really quickly for everyone, 
Roglic was the favorite going into the Tour de France. He had the best team around him. And obviously teams in team cycling matter a lot in terms of helping you to uh, sort of share the load at different moments of the race. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So childish. Uh, so childish and he went into the final what is the penultimate stage stage 20 but realistically it's the final stage because they don't compete for the win in the they compete for the stage win but not for the grand tour win in the 21st stage into paris and he had a 57 second advantage going into a time trial that takes about 57 minutes so you would have thought it was and he's one of the best time trialers in the world so you would have thought it was sort of an insurmountable lead and uh what, what the was odds? of him well of winning the tour de france from that standpoint at the time yeah, yeah. roglic was one to 50 to win the tour wow. going into he was the favorite for the stage so he was like 11 to 8 favorite for the stage and he was one to 50 to win the tour and wow. uh not only did he lose his 57 second advantage he ended up losing the tour de france by 59 seconds so it was a huge turnaround wow um, and one of the sadder moments, cause it was kind of like he finished and he actually didn't have that bad of a ride cause he finished fifth in the stage. So it wasn't like he totally collapsed, although he was obviously subpar. Um, but just trying to watch him realize what it had, you know, it's like whenever you watch an athlete, like kind of try and process, like, how have I just <laughs> lost this? And, uh, he finished the race. And obviously I think cycling is kind of an interesting standpoint cause they're just so tired at the same time. So he's physically exhausted and then just mentally trying to process the fact that his like dreams have just been crushed and like, how did I lose this? And it was kind of one of those things where you watch it. It's like such a human moment of watching this guy try. And he was very gracious in defeat. They're both Slovenian. So they obviously know each other quite well. And he congratulated the guy who, the, the guy who won. And as I said to you, if to both of you, if they hadn't both been Slovenian, if they were both English or both French or both American, it would have been a way bigger story. But the fact that it's just like from this country, most people haven't heard of, and even if they have heard of it, they're not really sure where it is. Um, it makes it makes it a lot easier to ignore. Wait, really? <laughs> I don't think most people could put Slovenia on the map. Frank, well, can no, you? I, I, no, probably not. Not with a hundred percent accuracy. Like, I, like maybe I, like I'm saying is maybe I can guess it. I have an idea, yeah. but I couldn't def- definitively say like, oh, that's it right there by like the, the shape or anything. Yeah. Or the name but on the I, map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam's got you there. <laughs> you didn't think of that scenario. <laughs> I agree with Eddie though. Had it been in a, Amer- like, I don't think it was even on ESPN. Oh, no, it page. was. It was on NBC. No, no, no. I meant like when I opened up. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the website. For instance, another crazy one to me, I opened up today, this morning. DeChambeau wasn't even on the headline or like this eight, the eight main topics they put on the right-hand side. And maybe that's because they think he's as much of an asshole as I think he is, and they just refuse to give him the publicity. But well, not, yeah, not just that, you think, not just that you think he is, Frank, by the way. It's not like your theory. Most people think he is. Like it's yeah. open, right? That like... Other players think he is, caddies think he is, like people covering the tour yeah. think he is. I mean, I guess that's a natural way for us. I think the thing that also, I don't have too much to say about the US Open in some respects. We obviously kind of, in me in particular, ruled uh, Deschambeau out because of the idea yeah. that it was not going to, it was hitter. a course that wasn't going to suit a big hitter who maybe wasn't so accurate. 
as it transpired with both the success of him and Wolf, is they just the two biggest hitters. Yep. They just out hit <laughs> the rough. So everywhere they built this rough up, they hit past it. So it didn't matter See. that even if you were then inaccurate, it didn't matter. You'd avoided the, the traps. See, that's, well, a, that's for, a bigger conversation yeah. though, right? Because the thing is, is DeChambeau changing golf? No, he's just hitting things harder. Like that's fundamentally all he's doing. The bigger question or the bigger debate in golf is that all these traps were built and adapted and changed 15 years ago, 10 years ago, people are hitting it 20, 25 yards longer on average now. So they take out 80% of any sort of obstacle the golf course can throw at them. And I think that's a better argument than saying he's transforming golf. No, I think what's happening is over the past like decade or so, you're realizing that more and more these fairway traps are just redundant because people are driving for them. I mean, the guy on a par five hit, what was it, like a 380 yard, and on a par five, five sixty, I think it was, he went driver, pitch and wedge, putter. I mean, what? I, it's crazy. I mean, and that, that isn't, in my opinion, as much to do with DeChambeau as it is that the golf courses themselves need to change traps and um, obstacles and that quicker. They need to adapt. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you, a, know you know what? You know what? Actually, when, had when Woods to first me. came up. Like when Woods first came up, you know, he was able to kind of do what DeChambeau is doing and then they adjusted it and made the courses longer and kind of tried to to get ahead of that and maybe they just have to do it again. To me, perversely, they have to make the courses shorter because oh. the idea is like you keep getting longer and longer. But in a way, like the most fascinating hole, right, from Morikawa's win was that 16th, the drivable par four. But there you yeah. put the player in a situation of like, your chances of driving this are really, really slim. Do you want to take the risk? Do you want to go for it? And that's way more interesting from a spectator standpoint than watching some guy play a 600-yard hole where he just drives it 400 and then hits a like relatively easy approach shot. I'd rather see like, okay, here's, here's course management really coming into play here because we've taken length off the course. And so your length doesn't actually, the guy hitting 350 isn't, doesn't have that much of an advantage over the guy hitting 300. The thing we do have to give him credit for, right, is we can say he out hit all of the, and obviously that was my, like what I believe, but he still was the only guy who finished under par. So it's not like the whole course that everyone thought was going to be really hard was really easy. Um, and I yeah. think the thing that, the thing that also hurt him from the coverage standpoint is it went from being a really close finish to him kind of winning by what looks like a landslide even though it was still up for grabs until like three holes left and that kind of just means like well, we're not going to lead with this story because this guy won by six shots which on this course makes it look like he won by 20 in another scenario yeah i the thing with the long ball hitting is obviously wolf and dechambeau are two of the longest hitters on the tour but when you look at wolf's final score what kind of what Eddie's saying is that they can just hit the ball a mile and whether it's in, in the rough or not, it doesn't matter because they have an easy approach in the third round that worked wonders for Wolf. He hit two fairways out of 14 in the third round and was able to shoot an amazing third round in the fourth round. He did basically the same thing and he got smoked by it. So I don't think it's just that the reason DeChambeau won was because he was just hitting it far and whether it was in a rough or not, it didn't matter because Wolf did the same thing. And at the end of the day, his score was 
right with everyone else, well, basically. That, that is right the there in third, fourth, and fifth. I said this to Eddie offline. It was that a lot of people came out with the Shambos when the problem was like Wolf was. I think he was easier to like out of the two as well. You probably would have oh. wanted Wolf. So, but the thing is, a lot of people came out after DeChambeau's when they basically said he just missed the best. And that's kind of going yeah. to what you said. Like every time he did something not as planned or didn't envisage it happening and kind of shanked it, whatever it was, it didn't work out as worse for him as it did other players. Other players got ruined by it. You know, you would see yeah. them, you would see them two under. And then four holes later, they're four over. Uh, it just didn't happen with Deschambeau. It, it just, yeah, he I mean, just missed he, the test. He played well. I mean, he recovered from his bad shots really well. The, the two stats that were pretty interesting was, I think Eddie touched on this one, he was the only player on Sunday to shoot under par, which is impressive. That shows, you know, being pretty clutch. But in Wingfoot, who's hosted it six times, he's only the second player ever to not score over par in four days. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's yeah, it's yeah. impressive. I mean, he had, he had a good tournament. The only thing I'll say too is right. Sometimes the analysis is like, are players like him, like the big hitters, are they ruining golf? And people will be like, oh no, because next week he's going to finish. He's going to miss the cut. To me, it, he is one of maybe ten golfers kind of taking the approach that he has now. He might be the most extreme version, but there's plenty of them out there. And to me, the issue is more if you have ten, fifteen guys in a you know a and you know a normal group of you know in a normal tournament going out with that approach we might face in a scenario where one of them wins it every time because they're just rolling the dice on like will the driver be pretty accurate this week will i get a couple lucky bounces will i sink a couple big putts or chip in once when i was in a little bit of trouble and it kind of just ruins it for the guys who are taking the more traditional approach to golf and also from a viewer standpoint i think just not as interesting so that to me is more of the issue. It's like, you know that the guys with this approach, they're not going to win week in, week out, or even be top 10 week in, week out. But one of them might. And that's the bigger concern. He's, um, he came out and he basically said he's, he wants to add about another 15 pounds, put about another 20 yards onto his drive. And it's pro- so, so it doesn't annoying. look like it's going anywhere. It doesn't look like he's completing this transformation he's, or whatever. He's but just so unlikable. I'll tell you what, it would have been interesting with DeChambeau to put him in like the British Open where you've got no tree line. You've got absolutely nothing that's going to help you. And just to see him drive the way he does, um, wind swirling, just to see well, what we'll happens. See next when year, he right? te- yeah, when he tees <laughs> it up high. When he tees it up high and he expects it to be hit straight and true and it just flies off. And because he's got the extra power, it'll work against him. But it'll be interesting to see him on a course like that. Did you see his, he's the only player on the tour to have a higher loft on his putter than his driver? Yeah. I also want to see him, right? I want to see him in a Ryder Cup on a Lynx course. And I want to see him just, I mean, I'll take real satisfaction out of just watching him implode in a four ball or something where his yeah. his tee shots are just being whipped away by the wind and his 340 yard ball is finding itself 15 yards into the ocean <laughs> well actually his, interestingly his, enough we've got him at augusta next right so um that might suit him that's the thing like he might get away with it there it'll be fun to see him though that i imagine he's going to go off favorite right it'll be him or dustin i imagine but yeah i mean it's the thing that bothers me with him is i don't mind the the scientific approach philosophy he has. I mean, Tiger Woods made his career off of that. He was super methodical with everything. We've talked before, I think one of the podcasts, he has 
this basically a house full of all these different equipment that he's constantly testing and tweaking and stuff like that. But Tiger Woods isn't in everyone's face about it. And he's not annoying about it. And Deschambeau, like even though like, I still want to gain 15 pounds, like just shut up. You won the fucking US Open. Like just shut up. (laughs) The other part that really bothers me about him is when he's on the green and he pulls out his 200 page notebook. And there was one, one in particular, I remember where Wolf had a really critical putt and Wolf stared down every angle of his putt for about 15 minutes. Like it was way longer than it should be. And Deschambeau was putting after him. So he was already doing the same thing with his putt while Wolf was doing it. Then Wolf takes his putt and Deschambeau takes like another five minutes analyzing his putt. Like he's just so annoying with this whole like over analyzing and, and of every shot that he has with his monster notepad. Like at some point, just play the fucking game, man. It's, yeah, I mean, and he's had real issues. He, he's had real issues with the slow play, right? Like, of the professional yeah. golfers trying to take on the slow players. Deschambeau is kind of the poster boy of slow play, so that is another issue with him. But yeah, it's just there's nothing to like about him. There's really nothing to like about him, and that's that's just a shame in a sport that desperately needs. Now, look, maybe he's the heel golf needs. Because, you know, maybe hating someone, you know, you can, a lot of times you'd say that like, you can hate someone more strongly than you can love them. (laughs) And so maybe. That's Eddie's philosophy to life. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, from a sporting perspective, I think that's often true, right? You can, your desire to watch someone fail is almost greater than your desire to watch someone else succeed. And uh, maybe in that respect, but what he needs is he needs if you're going to be a good heel, you need a good adversary. You need the good guy and you need the good guy who's like openly kind of taking you on. And yeah. Kepka's obviously had some public comments he's made about Deschambeau in the past, but they need one of the other guys to kind of step up. I mean, in a way, Morikawa is kind of the perfect person for that because Morikawa is kind of the antithesis of everything that Deschambeau is and that he's just kind of quiet and composed, gets on with his game just like seems really nice and pleasant and polite. But, you know, we need someone else to be there so that you feel like you can root against him, but for someone else to sort of knock him off his pedestal. Not that he's on the golfing pedestal, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, when it gets around to it and we start tipping up um, Augusta and stuff like that, I I will never see enough value in DeChambeau to bet on him. I I just can't. I I can't watch him and openly want him to succeed. I don't think I could ever tip him up. Even if I think he'll win, I just, I can't. I'll look for value elsewhere. Well, well, the other thing too is because he is such a well-known name at this point too, there's no value in him because people are betting him obviously because they just recognize him as one of the five or six golfers they know. And so you're seeing a guy who probably should be, say, 16 to 1 for the tournament, be 10 to 1 just because of the volume that's coming in behind him. And so there you, it's hard to tip someone like that in the same way that's hard to tip Dustin Johnson or hard to tip, you know, when Tiger Woods, right, was in his prime. You know, Tiger Woods was going off at like 3 to 1 yeah. to win majors. And it, you can't tip him, even if you're like, he probably will win. It's like there's no value in a guy at 3 to 1 to win the Masters. And not that any of these guys are ever going to get to that level, but still it's the same concept where once you just have that name recognition, it's hard to see value. So I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the, uh, who are the top three in your head for the masters betting at the moment? So I'll give you an idea. It's nine to one. And then there's two at 10 to one. Okay. So I would say 
do you want me to guess all th- my what who I think the three are, and Frank can guess who he thinks? Well, I'll tell you what. Give me give, both. Give me a nine to one, and then both give me a ten to ones. I guess. I'm gonna say Dustin Johnson's nine to one. I'm gonna say Justin Thomas is nine to one. Okay, it's uh, Dustin. And then I'm gonna say Justin Thomas is ten to one. I'm gonna say Dustin Johnson's ten to one. Even though I already know he's nine to one. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend so, like you didn't. And then I'm gonna me. assume Deschambeau is the other ten so to one. So Deschambeau is one of them. Now think of someone else who actually had a pretty good tournament. Rory. Yes, Rory is ten to one. Uh, I mean, Thomas, Thomas is twelves. Thomas is twelves, um, and Ram is elevens. Rory. I mean, I, I feel like I say it every golf tournament, right? Every time it comes up. Well, well we only had the, two, and you have. <laughs> Rory, yeah, Rory is the king of the one disastrous round. And then he just manages, he's kind of like totally out of the running and then just manages to pull himself back in. And all of a sudden you're like, another top 10 for Rory McIlroy. He's a prize money chaser. He's a prize money chaser. No, he kills it on the prize money, but not on the actual trophy. Empty trophy cabinet right now, but it's just stacked full of cash. (laughs) Just like one of his, um, when did he win the um, British Open? Like 2014, 2015 or something like that? Just that surrounded by loads of bills. (laughs) hundred dollar bills now while we're doing we're doing our like ran- roundup of random sports it was a little bit hard for me to say uh qualifying for the french open is uh going on right now and the french open proper starts soon now obviously it's hard is nadal to- playing nadal is playing it's hard to see past anyone but nadal because he kind of he literally yeah. nearly owns Roland Garros, but um Djokovic won the ATP in Rome today. The final was today, which uh, Nadal was surprisingly knocked out in the quarterfinals, which is the kind of premier warm-up tournament for the uh, French Open, at least this season with Monte Carlo not have taken, having taken place. The interesting thing, Novak Djokovic has not, won a, not lost a match this year that has been completed. <laughs> So the only way we he all knew we is all know by the taking a throat out. Yeah. It's just or, an interesting one. Or wait, how did he just lose the other one? Um, I think that might be his only defeat is the disqualification, but he might he may have retired. Might have retired. Yeah. But so he, he think, can either hurt someone else or hurt himself. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the only way he loses. So is the team any good on Clay? Team's a good clay court player. Yeah, team has lost to the French Open final twice, I think, uh, to Nadal. It's a tough one. I think I, I, feel, I feel like every year people try and convince themselves that this is the year Nadal doesn't win it. And then you kind of just get to the final and you're like, well, he's, he's going to win it though. And he must be crazy money. He must be like either money or like 13 to 8 or something like that to win it. I haven't Nadal. actually looked at the odds. I would say this year must be the best. I mean, maybe we'll include those odds. Off the top of my head, I think he's probably going to be around even money. He's normally short, like he's normally quite odds on going into the French Open. Mm. Um, but just to pick anyone else is, is crazy from just a historical standpoint. You're talking about a guy who just almost never loses there. So to, to think that he, this is going to be the year someone beats him, maybe, but I wouldn't want to. If you've kind of pinned your hopes on that every year you've lost a lot of money going to uh what sam's probably most happy about this weekend 
Oh, Gareth Bale team, being back. His team atop oh, Gareth the Bale. <laughs> the gorgeous Gareth Bale being back in the Premier League. His I mean, flowing locks are going to be entertaining Sam for at least 12 months. He's not an attractive man. <laughs> well, Eddie and I have talked about this. He legitimately looks, has the bone structure of a monkey. <laughs> he looks like a Neanderthal. It's okay he when you say like that, a white guy. <laughs> no, exactly. We've had this exact conversation where Gareth Bale is like the only professional athlete that I can call a monkey or an ape or like an ape-like person and, and know no that backlash. I can get away with it. Like, yeah. There is such a thin line between literally internationally being cried, like publicly flogged and calling Gareth Bale a monkey. Like, it is the only exception. <laughs> I would say he's more Neanderthal looking. Okay. Pedantics aside, yes, I understand. <laughs> And the kind of lithics that you're in. Yeah, I mean, I'm. it's it's a really good loan signing, right? But the problem is the guy just doesn't play football. Like, I know he's been training constantly, but is he really going to be kind of match fit within what? Four weeks, six weeks? I don't know. It's hard I, to I, judge. I just, yeah. It's hard to judge how much personal. I mean, whenever he's been playing for Wales, he's been match fit. I think he'll relish the kind of being passionate again. And I think he'll really thrive because ultimately this is his shot window now, right? He, he hasn't had a shot window at Real Madrid because he just doesn't get the opportunity to play. I don't, I don't know if there is a shop window for Gareth Bale because I don't know who would ever be buying him apart from Spurs. So I think the shop window is White and Hart Lane. Um, that's, that's it. That's the, sh- the shop he's going to be sold and bought in and remain in. If he's White Hart Lane? What, the old or, stadium? Sorry. They're just going to put him in like a museum. Yeah. They're going to put him in one of the apartment buildings that they built there. They unfroze him during the ice age. Like, yeah, I, I think it's a good buy. Yeah, I did mean, you see that in the news that they found one of uh, Gareth Bale's ancestors frozen in the tundra in Russia? <laughs> are they going to defrost and see if he plays as well as Bale exactly. does? Exactly, yeah. But they, they um, look alike. Maybe they have the same skill level exactly <laughs> Mourinho is really strapped for choice in the market at the moment yeah I've signed a cave bear <laughs> but he <laughs> I think his name is Cave Bera <laughs> he's a hot prospect out of Siberia but um they uh <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever say that? Like, how annoyed would you be as a scout when it's like, I've got a really good assignment. It's in the middle of nowhere in Siberia. Oh, and it's about to be winter there. So enjoy that. Good luck. Better say quick. But they, here's the thing, whether or not it's shop window, I just think Gareth Bale is undoubtedly one of the most talented attacking players of the generation. And the fact that he was going to have his career waste away just doing nothing now, look, he would argue it's not wasting away because he was earning 300,000 pounds a week or whatever yeah. it is, or 600,000 pounds a week. Even, and he's still picking up medals, right? And he's, yeah, he's still winning La Liga titles and Champions Leagues. And he scored one of the most iconic goals in Champions League final history and done all these sort of things. So he'll, you know, look, most footballers would happily, and most people, take his career in a heartbeat. That being said, he was definitely wasting away sitting in, not even on the bench at Real Madrid, just sitting in the stands. And so I'm happy to see a player of his talent actually playing again. Whether or not he ends up being a success in the return to Spurs, just to have him actually playing football again is a good thing. 
Yeah, I think I think it's exactly um, last time on the podcast with I was talking about that Everton Spurs game as well, and I was saying one of the problems is when Kane doesn't score, Spurs score nothing, which is funny now because Son's just come back and scored four. But um, I, th- I think Bale will fill that gap pretty nicely. I, I think they would find a way of because I know a couple of people have made the point about how do you fit all of those attacking players into a system that someone like Mourinho adopts. But I think it's pretty easy. Like you just have kind of Bale and Son on the wide, Kane up front, and I, I just think it works. I think it makes sense quite easily. But yeah, they'll be exciting, right? It's a reason to watch Spurs match again, matches again for a yeah, while, for sure. just to see that dynamic. Which whoa, you, whoa, you, you don't would... like watching Son play, Eddie? Now you're the they racist. Were good at the, they were good at the weekend, but <laughs> I, I'm not going to bite on that one. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you because you know you are a racist. <laughs> Not against Asians, but but they uh, <laughs> they. Um, so you are a racist. <laughs> I'm not. I'm all I'm saying is I I love South Koreans, but they they um, <laughs> they they uh, they <laughs> they what? Uh, you're yeah. done. They really get <laughs> you done. going. They get you. <laughs> they get your motors burning. Uh, some, Sam, some, little, little, little do we know that the R, the orange manager is just staring. He's, he's got the door open at Eddie's apartment. He's just staring down with yeah. like a with like a Eddie's hockey mask on. <laughs> yeah, when you know the, when the line goes dead, you'll know that first he cut my mobile service and then he murdered me. And then he cut your throat. Yeah. <laughs> But no, and then just for half an hour on this call, we've just got like the orange, like this phone is unavailable. Like, a burp, burp. yeah. And I mean, the other stories from the weekend United looked awful. Patrice Evra, so bad. Patrice Evra told a great story on Sky Sports. I didn't hear it because, um, well, I was with Jake and we switched it off pretty quickly. It was in the build-up to the match. So they were talking about Zaha, and they were talking about why Zaha failed at United. And obviously, Petri Sever was playing there at the time that Zaha was a, a young player at United. And Petri Sever said, I don't know if it's true or not. But he said, I know the reasons why. He kind of was like, the reason why he failed. Now, I don't know if it actually happened or it didn't was because he had an affair with David Moyes' daughter. And this is supposed to be what is it with these players and the sex scandal? Oh yeah, because the NFL is absolutely like it's no, so that's true in the NFL is so annoying. That's not sex scandals. That's just absolute abuse towards women. That's different. I, uh, okay. Yeah, he took David Moyes' daughter. He laid her on a pile of guns and he beat her up. <laughs> then, then that's NFL. Sign him up. Give that guy a contract extension. <laughs> That guy has the level of testosterone that we need on this team. But they, um, they, uh, now here's the thing is they weren't implying that he did anything, that it was like a one night stand. I think the implication was that he may have actually been seeing her and that David Moyes, who at the time was manager of Manchester United, didn't like it. Now, as it transpires, this is a something, this was a story that was kind of around at the time. Zaha has denied it and also denied the fact that he's ever even met David Moyes' daughter, which seems a little bit unusual to me because like there would have been team events and stuff where you would have assumed his daughter turned up from every once in a while. How how young is she? Is it she I think a similar age to him. So at the time How young was he when he played for United? 
21, 22 mm. kind of thing. Oh, okay. Now, the thing is, when the story leaked, basically when people started to say they were seeing each other, Zaha never played for Manchester United again. So there is some the timelines that like line up. But Zaha, and then it, the most awkward part about it was then at halftime, I think it was, the Sky presenter had to say, like, we apologize for what Patrice Evera said in the build-up to the match. Uh, Zaha has never met David Moyes' daughter. Like, they actually said that as part of the apology. And I just like Patrice Evera because he just doesn't give a shit and he's just sitting there being like, oh, I'll say something similar a week from now. Yeah, when you get him and Keane on the same situation, like, even though they were at some point, like, like, colleagues in that respect, it was just funny that they fall out they fall out with each other and it's brilliant but the premier league this weekend was again weird like no home team can defend is probably something i've learned and most teams that performed well in the like week one or like last week uh, kind of either showed another side this week uh so you had teams performed pretty well like Newcastle performed pretty well then they did pretty terribly you look at someone like Liverpool where obviously people were talking about how shaky they look maybe defensively but then they go and comprehensively outperform Chelsea who I don't I don't feel that's fine but I don't feel like there was any point in that where I thought Chelsea were had the upper hand or were competitive upper hand or competitive sure upper hand no but you're still playing with 10 men for whatever it was, 50 minutes, 55 minutes. You're not going to win many matches with 10 men for that long length of time. Yeah. Okay. But just going on to the kind of wider point, I guess, you know, like Spurs looking pretty bad in the first game, then they, they go and um, smash Southampton. It was, it was again, just a pretty weird uh, Premier League week. I, and we yeah, should that... say right now, as we're recording, it is 70 minutes into the City match and City are 2 up away to Wolves. Yeah. So... Let me read the top of the table to you. Right now you have tied for, I guess, technically tied for the the top, but when you do goal differential, not really. But Leicester, Everton, Arsenal, Liverpool, Crystal Palace. I mean, that's how it will finish, right? Yeah, in that order would be pretty impressive. I mean, the one guarantee from week two is that West Brom really aren't good enough. Like if there was any sort of like doubt, like first game or something like that, the, the Everton game, they were just, the Kieran Gibbs sending off, they were already starting to kind of slip to the Everton kind of attacking style, but they, they just got blown away by the end of it. And there's no depth there. I, I can see West Brom being that kind of team that ends the season maybe on like 20 points. I don't think points. they'll get to 20 points. It could uh, but, be one of those record low kind of... I don't think they'll get to the 20 points. But the West Brom are definitely going down. And I think that after this weekend... And okay, week two, you know, second two matches in, you don't want to start making... Drumming to too many conclusions. Also going to be tough for Fulham. Because they lost a, a real six-pointer in the match against Leeds. And so they're yeah. already... You know, you, those are the matches you have to be picking points up from. And they didn't look that bad in the match. But I think you're starting. I, I would already say West Brom are down and Fulham are, are not far off. So who's the? I mean, at the moment, I'm putting West Ham. I know they had a much improved performance, but when you looked that bad, just turning up and running around a little bit was improved uh, against uh, compared to the Newcastle game. So even though it was improved against Arsenal, I, I'm I'd be worried for them and their season. 
Well, in, in, in order right now from goal differential, you have United, West Ham, Sheffield, Fulham, Southampton, West Brom. You, you could see Fulham, Southampton, West Brom being the, the three, you know, this it's, early on. Maybe not I think Southampton. Southampton. I think Southampton will be fine. I think they, they'll score enough goals. I think that's the thing going for them, that they'll score enough goals. That's, that's the thing where I worry when I look at West Brom. I don't know where they're going to get that many goals from, and they also can't really defend. So just <laughs> where you see them like winning matches, it's hard. They really need another team. Sheffield United too, right? Like do not look great so far. Yeah, poor result today against yeah. uh, relegation potential. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, maybe that's who you slot in instead of Southampton, Sheffield United. I would say more like otherwise, that. it's West Ham. You know, yeah. That, I mean, there's a few teams, and look, it's two weeks in. You can look bad for two. Like done, United, are, Eddie. United are Eddie, it's, United. It's overreaction week. Yeah, no, that was week one. United looked really bad, but United aren't going to go down, right? So, uh, well, no, no. but it's week one for them. So overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> okay, United are going down. There you go. I mean, that would be... So, sorry, if Jake. That, if, if that transpired, you should be on every Sky Sports. You should be on every single like app betting website because if you're the guy that predicts, man, you go down with any sort of like justification from that first game, you are pundit of the year. I would like to see me on Sky Sports with Roy Keane. I would enjoy that. <laughs> I'm, not sure would... the, I'm not sure the world would, but I would. You would go into your kind of like, like we were saying at the start, that kind of like dick logic with Roy Keane. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, so you're going to fuck him up, are you? You'd literally go out there and fuck him up. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm. Hey, I don't think. <laughs> Language, we're on Sky Sports. But uh, also, just to touch on another topic that we've spoken about in recent weeks, uh, last week, uh, two episodes ago, we did that. Frank, you gave us that exciting guessing game of uh, sports billionaires. And included in that list was Floyd Mayweather. Yes. Now, last week, there is now heavy speculation that Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather will be coming out of retirement to fight Jake Paul, the YouTuber. Wow. Now, if we needed, I, any, I further con- we needed any further confirmation that Floyd Mayweather is not in the billionaire bracket, that's all. That's it. No, no, no. He's made a billion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's down he spent- 1.4 billion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a pathetic so th- i event. remember i remember when there was two you so there was jake paul and there's another youtuber called ksi and they um they basically uh, what do you call it talk smack about each other and they agreed to do a boxing match and obviously they promoted it and it, they got they must have got absolute millions in and it's widely known that the reason that was called a draw was because then they could make more millions from just doing it again. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if like Mayweather and Jake Paul did some sort of agreement where Mayweather just toyed with him for like five rounds, so they got loads of money from it, etc., and then just knocked him out in one go. And then like oh, Jake mean, Paul can go away and be like, "I survived two rounds with Floyd Mayweather." Sam, uh, Sam, you mean he's going to sign the Conor McGregor contract? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I was that's exactly what's going to happen. It's a joke. I, like, I mean, the only interesting thing, right? It, it's it's just a, it's kind of sad to see. I mean, Floyd Mayweather is an absolute piece of shit, so he deserves every negative thing in his life, just the way he treats women and stuff like that. So it's not sad from that perspective. Okay. That being said, he is a sporting icon, and so I you're do racist want to, again. Yeah, oh, I no. don't want to say. Oh that no. <laughs> I don't want to say your sporting achievements make up for what your personality and character is away from sports. 
but the fact that you have arguably the greatest pound for pound boxer of all time, potentially fighting a YouTuber who hasn't, who has fought in two fights as Sam touched on, because they, they had the draw and then they had a rematch. He lost the rematch. So you're fighting against a guy who's never won a fight. I mean, just that's, it's, it's not far off him just fighting me for money. I mean, it's, it's like him just being just as if you're going to a carnival and Floyd Mayweather is there and he's just like, hop in a ring, you know, pay 50 bucks, knock out the king and you get a thousand, you know, like he's, he's, he's just a couple of weeks away from that. And the How only thing you can say is you Jake steady? against Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say I would last. I'm going to lose on points because that's the way Floyd Mayweather beats you're you. Go, you're going to points against Floyd yeah. Mayweather. In one round? You're, you're... <laughs> no, no, I said how long can you last? It's not, the fight's not over well, here's round a, here's one a, and, then is... it's going, and then it's going to a tight points decision. I love it. So no, hold on. So uh, Eddie gets points for flair. He's just there shuffling around the side. Of the ring. Oh, I did. Eddie's the, head. Do the, he wins at least two out of five rounds. He does I do the, the Prince, shuffle and all that. No, no, no. I do the Prince Nassim Hamid uh, flip into the ring over the ropes. I for sure do. I pull that one out for sure, and I nail the landing. And at that point, Floyd knows he's in trouble. It's a mental game, and I it's checkmate by the time the the first bell rings. Is it? Is it really? <laughs> yeah. No, but here's the question, right? We've actually had this debate before because um, at a bar that we go to, uh, one of the bartenders or you still, we had the discussion of like, how much money would it take for you to get in the ring with Anthony Joshua? And Oof. my question was always like, do I say I get 10 million pounds, $10 million? Does that mean I can take a year to prep for the fight? So I just get in shape where I know I'm going to get knocked out, but I at least think that the knockout's not going to kill me. Because right now I get in the ring, he just literally kills me. But and, my question is, how does, how does getting in shape have anything to do with... I, if, I, if, I, if he hits you in, in the temple, whether you're in shape or not... His, his, well, because I, I want neck muscles. I want my neck muscles to be prepared. <laughs> okay, here's another one though, right? If you're, oh, Eddie, if you're I'm sure your neck muscles months. get plenty of work on a weekend basis. <laughs> oh, I'm not Sam, all right? Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> So you're allowed 12 months, right? And you can either have that to prepare for Joshua or you can have like some of it after to recover. Are you going full 12 months and then say like you get brain damage against Joshua, but you've got to go back to work like at the weekend? No, no. I mean, A, I've made enough money, right? This is $20 million hits my bank account. I get 12 months to prep for the fight. Yeah, but you can't even spell bank anymore because that part of your brain's gone from the amount of blows you just took from Joshua. Nah. Here's the thing is, and I'm being really honest here, I know I'd get absolutely, I know I get knocked out against Anthony Joshua in the first round, maybe the second round, because maybe he just takes it easy on me because he almost feels sorry for me. And he's, he probably spends a round just like questioning how his life has ended up in the point that it's in at that moment. But deep down inside me, when I get in that ring, part of me is thinking, if I can just land one. Do you just take his first jab? and go down so this is the other out. issue we've, yeah. we've always debated this can i just take like a ran like a, a relatively soft jab to the like the shoulder and then just go down but i think the argument has to be that i as like as long as i can get up i have to keep getting up until the I, I, until it gets the better stopped. argument would be like yeah you get a million dollars for every punch taken that you're still standing no you wouldn't want to do that maybe time Maybe you get a five hundred thousand dollars like every thirty seconds or something. 
Because every punch taken, that's like encouraging me to run into his blows. <laughs> like, I no, I I don't think I could. I, I'd be down on the floor after one after one actual forceful punch from Anthony Joshua, the same way he would punch any. Yeah, but you say. Sam, you'd be you'd be down on the floor on all fours, just saying, Anthony, <laughs> mount me. That would be a very different thing that the uh, fans are looking for. We're going Greco-Roman <laughs> here, aren't we? Traditional, no yeah, naked, naked, oiled up, oiled up. Yeah, <laughs> I brought my my favorite uh, pina colada lube as oil. I hope that's acceptable. Yeah, suffice to say, this is very high up the card. <laughs> Eddie, all I can keep thinking of you getting in the ring with him is on that Graham Norton show when he had the punching machine and he oh, doesn't yeah. even hit it that hard and almost breaks the machine. It's, oh my God. I would love it. I would love Now, here's the thing. It. Anthony Joshua or, or Floyd Mayweather, two very different prospects. Because like Floyd Mayweather has, he has like weak hands, brittle hands. He's like hands break, so he can't really knock people out anymore. Are you going to use the word frail? Yes. Frail so hands. Frail. So at least in the case of uh, Mayweather, I actually don't think Mayweather would, if I trained for a year, I don't think Mayweather would knock me out. He would obviously just dismantle me in the ring on technique. But I don't think, I think I could actually... Oh, I think he knocks you out. I think I, I, think I last it. You also just got to talk size advantage here. I am like seven inches taller than Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, and you're so about seven inches taller than those French guys that beat your ass every time he, at the bar. And none of them have ever knocked. Gut. No, he, none of them have ever knocked me out. Yeah, he is just hitting your French. gut. You are vomiting. The way you could beat Floyd Mayweather, he punches you in the gut so much, you vomit on him and you gross him out. Oh yeah, oh, I think. Be... I think he gets he. I, I mean, you're right. He he's not going to one punch knock you out, but the accumulation of forty to fifty shots to the head from Floyd Mayweather will knock you out. The head wouldn't be my issue. The, he- the issue would be body shots. That's where he's, he's most likely to knock me out through a body shot than he is through the head. Cause just a, he's going to have to reach up pretty high to hit me in the head, but he is going to just be able to pick apart underneath my ribs. I would just do the hugging. <laughs> the jokes on him. I'm just going to have my, I'm just going to have my belt around my nipples. <laughs> Oh my god, please a, walk into the ring like that. <laughs> so the last thing we need to mention is a little NHL update. So we have officially started the Stanley Cup Finals. Game one was Saturday, and game two is this afternoon, or tonight. So before we get into who won game one, Last round, I won one out of two series. Or no, we both won one out of two series. And we've decided that we're going to see the finals. So I'm technically up one game or one series of correct picks on Sam. So if Sam can win the Stanley Cup finals, he'll tie. Sam the Squid will tie the amount of wins I have. I actually think I should win if I win the Stanley Cup final to tie. I think I should win because I got the final correct. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm the only one here who actually knows both of your predictions, right? So I'll use this up. Maybe you'll change your mind as to who wins or who loses when you know what the other one's actually chosen. So So I've picked the lightning. You've both 
chosen the lightning. You have both oh. predicted the lightning win. However, <laughs> I didn't. How did you stars. pick the lightning? I didn't get the how so, did you not pick Dallas? Frank has Frank has predicted that the lightning went in six. Sam has predicted that the lightning went in seven. Frank has predicted that there will be twenty seven goals in the series. And Sam has predicted that there'll be 32 goals in the series. Wow. So you basically kind of have like an identical prediction just with one game more. Okay, Eddie, I'm going to throw this out. So game one, I don't know if Sam saw Dallas won four to one. Yeah, Sam didn't. It was three to one, but they score an empty net. So Dallas is now up one nothing. Yeah, Sam, I will give you you the opportunity, knowing Dallas is up. Do you want to change your pick? No. I want to negotiate on behalf of my client. Um, If he switches. Wait, is the squid the client? Squid is the client. (laughs) Yeah. What a stupid agent. <laughs> he walks in with a, with a, with a squid. Yeah. Just, a squid on, you, just a squid on ice. Are you carrying it in your, like, like a baby, like a cradle? <laughs> no, no, no. Or is it in a case? What, sorry, sorry, what was that squid? What was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this guy talking to a squid? If he switches, and if he then wins the series, does he win the playoff matchup outright? No, because they're already up one. I will say we have tied. I will say that well, Sam he, the Squid is as good as picking NHL series as I am. Well, then there's no reason, Sam, there's no reason to do it because you tie if, he, if it goes seven and light, the Lightning win. No, 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 no. If the Lightning win, then we both pick the series correctly. No, because then why did we pick the tiebreakers? I don't know, because you asked me. <laughs> I didn't ask you. You volunteered the tiebreakers. <laughs> you know why tiebreakers are cool. The tiebreakers are called tiebreakers for a yeah. reason. They break ties. <laughs> So no, if 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 the lightning goes, if this the lightning win in seven, Sam wins this round. Yeah, you can say it's a like asterisk. But then what? The, what if I get more goals? What if I get closer to the goals? Well, you can't get. Well, yeah, unfortunately, get, it's hard to be that much closer because you're only five goals apart. So like, it, 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 it's an unlikely scenario. And we're only one game apart though, too. One game's a lot bigger than five goals though. The overall well, about one game. Five, actually, Eddie, five goals is literally like one game. Yeah, would but you, you know say, what I mean. If someone predicted the series score correct and then they were like five goals off, people would be more impressed by that than someone who, like say Sam had predicted 20 goals and he gets the series completely the wrong way around. He doesn't go, well, at least I predicted 20 goals. I guess, I guess for our difference in the middle, we're looking at what, like over 29 and a half would be the middle ground? If I've worked that out correctly, like two and a half, two and a half, and there's five between us. So would you yeah. say that's a fairer way rather than being like, okay, there was 28, but because obviously Frank's one lower, it goes to the squid. Like, would you say that we should change it up to maybe like the over under at 29 and a half? No, price is right rules. Okay. So if it's a penny over, if it is yeah, 20, one goal over. 29 goals. Squid wins. <laughs> if it's price is right rules. <laughs> I never agreed to prices right rules. Well, so Sam, Sam has tw- Sam has twenty nine to Sam has twenty nine to affinity, and Frank has Wait, currently 20. five to twenty eight. Wait, why I'm wondering. I want to change. My I thought it now. was if it's over twenty seven. I thought Frank picked twenty seven. Okay, yeah, where whatever he picked. So I'm allowed twenty eight onwards. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're allowed twenty seven and below, and there's already five. <laughs> what if I switched 
panicked. I don't want to root. I don't want to root for the stars. I don't want to root for them. That's the issue. Panicked by a squid. As 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 the squid's agent, I will allow you. I will say the squid offers you the switch. But then, if if it wins, he wins. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Same rule. I know, but I just don't want to root for them. I just don't like them. I like how the squid can't even like negotiate because it's a squid. So this is just Eddie negotiating. Because <laughs> the the overwhelming stat is since like 1939, the team that's won game one has won 76% of the Stanley Cups. So you're looking at a significant advantage after winning game one. And yeah, I mean, I do, you, you know my opinion on stats like that. That's always one of those stats of like, hey, you know the team that wins the first game often is better, and so they, they, then, they often win the series. Yeah, but not in a Stanley Cup final. I, you I have just to assume say, both games are good. The thing is, right, the Squid has had a good rep in NBA and NHL for picking the underdog, and oh, it going right. well. So I would feel that would, it would be too painful to switch, even though they're one up. I, I think I'd rather go to the tiebreakers than, yeah. And that's my other concern is I have lightning in six. So it becomes a little more difficult for the lightning down one to win in six. Now they have to win. Oh yeah. If the lightning the are winning, Sam is probably winning at this point. Yeah. Oh, shit. No, I, can't, I just can't. Ref- I'd rather he's done tie you. Sam. He's done you. He's in your head. I mean, you you said it last time. <laughs> this squid is on your head. I'd rather tie the squid than have to root for Dallas after they've screwed me every series this playoffs. So bearing in mind about what when we first started this podcast, this was for the NHL, and look at the panic. <laughs> look at the panic on this tipsters. <laughs> <laughs> It's also, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The interesting fact I heard was it's the two most Southern teams playing in the most Northern arena in the NHL. It's pretty good. Dallas and Tampa. Well, I know when I think ice hockey, I think Texas and Florida. So, yep. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm going to stick with the lightning. I just got to hope they have to win today. Have to win. It's a must win game. All right. Now I know what I got to root for. Anything else, boys, we want to cover before we head off here? No, I think think that's about it for, mm-hmm. for this week. No, so we've all picked the Saints tonight, right? Or today, tonight. Yep, against the so, Raiders. Yeah, we all pick the Saints. I have the Saints left to crawl back from a miserable weekend of betting. This is my only chance, <laughs> the last thing of my bet, to at least break even this weekend. Okay, we should release this episode quickly so that our listeners get to benefit from that information and just <laughs> pile on Vegas. Yep. <laughs> Go to Vegas and pile on Vegas. How's the Duke yes. curse going at the moment? Has there been any instances of the Duke curse? Uh, well, well, I predicted I mean, I Eddie would argue... have internet the first day he moved into his apartment. So look how that's yeah. working for him. So. You could also <laughs> argue that he, he, you know, he talked up how how lethal the Giants' offense was looking, 
And within a couple quarters, Saquon Barkley no longer had a knee. That's a good one. And also, obviously, the Steelers are done and they're 2-0. Listen, I'm still not high on the Steelers. They did not look that great this week against a Broncos team love, that was missing. I love the idea that they're going to go like six. No, I just I love I love the fact that they're gonna be like sixteen and zero going into the Super Bowl. Like, like oh, I'm still <laughs> they've had easy the games. Series. They have had easy games. <laughs> and then they're gonna be like win the Super Bowl by fifty points. Like, guys, come on, the Steelers still though they weren't that good. This was a swan song year. This was it. No, they did not play that convincingly. I mean, they beat the Broncos by five points. We'll see. They play the Texans next week, which is a, a better point even though the texans are owing to the texans year. i think are the litmus test of like if yes you beat the texans you're a good team and we had this yeah. before right we unfortunately for the texans they're currently getting beat by good teams every yeah. week so we, we doubted that with the chiefs we but yeah i think the th- no the, the texans like if you beat the texans i think you're legitimately decent to good yeah so the steelers next four games are the Texans, the Titans, the Eagles, and the Browns. Let's see what they do. Let's see what their record is after the first six games. I say okay, two and four. Okay, so what's your prediction? Give us your prediction. No, I'll say, the, I'll say they're three and three. Give us they're, game by game. Tell us what they're what now, what they do in those four so games. They're winning one more and losing okay. three. Basically. Lose to the Texans. Titans, close match, but lose. Titans defense kills Ben Rosselsberger. Eagles, the battle of Pennsylvania. I think they can beat the Eagles. The Eagles look miserable right now. And then Browns, I will take the Browns over the Steelers that week. Even if the Steelers going into that game against the Browns are 5-0, and I will still take the Browns. I don't hate that. I mean, it depends a little bit what the Browns do between now and then. If it's if we're getting the Thursday night, I guess we kind of didn't touch on that. I I said Baker Mayfield looked pretty good. Joe Burrow looked all right. I guess we just need to maybe acknowledge that fact. We didn't really yeah, talk about the fact good. that he had he had two rookie quarterbacks who looked pretty decent this weekend. We kind of didn't make Herbert and and Burrow. Oh, Herbert, man, he's gonna haunt me for my entire life. Sam, I have. Because I live on the West Coast, I have the amazing benefit of watching the shitty Pac-12 football match, football games every weekend. And I've been watching Herbert for several years now and have talked up to Eddie and Tim how I wanted the Giants to draft him for the longest time. Like, he's a smart QB. He's, he's deceivingly quick. I think he runs like a 4-4-40. He's pretty quick. He's got a good arm. He's smart on the field. And they end up obviously taking Daniel Jones and Herbert what a, now. Frank, what a racist description of a white quarterback you've just given. He's smart what? on the field, good arm, deceptively quick. How, how is that, that he's quick? No, deceptively I'm, implies yeah. that he did. Why well, does he like look? But why like doesn't six, he look? Six. Because so, he's like six, no, six, I know, but you, you're, you're giving you're giving the like stereo, and I'm not. I'm just joking with you. But you are giving the stereotypical like description of a quarterback, like a white quarterback, like reads the game well, good arm, you know, like reliable in the pocket, can take off if he needs to. Like you wouldn't think yeah. it, but he's actually he's a little bit more mobile than you'd think. That's like, true. 
the amount of white QBs that get the term intelligent thrown at them or smart, that's true, actually. But I can back it up. I think he is intelligent because you know what his major was? Microbiology and biology, double majored at Oregon and graduated in like two and a half, three years. That makes you clever in microbiology, right? Well, it just makes you a smart person to be a scientist. I guess so. We'll let our listeners decide. <laughs> they're getting weekly, they're getting four to five hours of evidence a week where they can decide how smart Herbert is. <laughs> the podcast has changed considerably. Yeah. <laughs> Since I was here, what's going on? <laughs> but yeah, he, he, Herbert looked really good in the first game. But again, it's the first game. You never know. Yeah, Daniel but Jones. I can say he's done Daniel more Jones than... looked. Daniel Jones looked great in his first game, and now he looks like I don't know. He doesn't even look like he should be holding kick field goals. Herbert almost beating the Chiefs is now a bigger accomplishment than anything Daniel Jones has done in his first eighteen games he started. That might actually be true. <laughs> it's definitely true. The only thing I will say is Herbert also, like, their run game was good. I, as I said to you, I think in a way that was kind of a perfect game to be dropped in because you're just, the expectation is you're going to lose. So you kind of get, like, total pressure off. Let's just go for this. And in a way, he didn't make any plays down the stretch when they really needed him to do something. So I, I, that's the only thing I would say on him. But, you know, it's one game. But he looked decent. I'll put it this way. If I have a choice between him and, and Burrow... I think I want Herbert. Burrow looked pretty good though too. Burrow looked all right. He just looks like such a dork in his helmet. He so he has like the Eli yeah. Manning syndrome where like once he puts the helmet and on and Daniel just, Jones. Yeah, they just don't look right. Like the helmet just like doesn't no. fit right. It like never looks comfortable on their head and he just like No, I completely agree. He has that helmet look to him. And no one with that helmet look. Spread. Hmm? Already got one up on you guys when I saw the Thursday game uh, on the spread against you guys because I took the Bengals plus six. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, somehow, somehow, I know, I know it was somehow. But. Yeah, there, there was a, there were, there were a few lucky money line wins. Uh, there were that was a atrocious like backdoor cover um, for the fact like the the Browns outplayed them so much and the fact that they just got that garbage time touchdown to to bring it back like cover the spread. A little yeah. bit sickening if you took the Browns to, to cover. Hey, you did, have, you did have an OBJ touchdown. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He what looked... you did post on Instagram about. Do you want to hear his, his weekly Instagram? Oh, yeah. Give, us, give, us, give us the Frank OBJ poop corner. So OBJ put up a picture and said, God got me through a flood. You think I won't make it through a drought? Oh, dot, dot, no. dot. I doubt no. it. How did he use a flood? flood of shit. <laughs> How did he use flood? <laughs> Which is, is interesting because he had one, what, 40-yard touchdown catch? But other than that, he only had like three other catches the whole game. He didn't play a spectacular game by any standards. He wasn't he, targeted But he finally had his touchdown. He yeah. wasn't targeted a lot either. So it was not like he had drops. Like He pretty much caught right. everything that went his way. Let's see what we got. Let's go to the comments section. Them shit jokes getting old. So this guy, he doesn't appreciate him anymore. Right off the bat, you got a, you got a guy who's anti-shit jokes. Too bad no one listens. Talk your shit, OBJ. Shit on them. This is a good one. This guy really went for it. Don't worry about that hater shit, bro. You know that shit is bullshit. 
you know people who are talking shit just do that shit to get noticed and shit just keep grinding and shit and all that shit will fall into place i mean what makes it funnier is how you constantly <laughs> talk about the joke it, it just never loses value yeah. i mean that's almost shakespearean really <laughs> he really went for it that guy really went for it get that shit off your chest that get that shit off your chest grind time don't let people shit on you you even made it through a shit storm he went for the whole storm flood. Yeah, that's not bad. That's the best so far. Yeah. Do your shit, Odell. Do you have something long and hard? I don't know what that one means. <laughs> <laughs> Sam? <laughs> Why yeah, are you commenting on OBJ's? What's the uh, Twitter name there? <laughs> Kinky Sam. You'll make it through a flood of shit trust. And then this symbol. I don't know what you call that emoji. Fist? The fist? <laughs> yeah, what, the reverse fist. No, no, like when it's like this. It's I don't know. Fist, right? That that just oh. looks like a fist to me. I don't understand. This one's the fist. The reverse. That one's Oh, the I fist. see what you mean. The solidarity yeah, the solidarity fist. The solidarity, solidarity okay. fist. Okay, there you go. I mean you that guys isn't the literally name, shit on the bangles. Good shit, bro. I know you can handle a big flood, Daddy. Winky <laughs> face poop emoji. That's the one. That's, let's, that's, just, let's just end on that one. Let's, yeah. uh, there we go. Yeah. The, the Daddy reference pushed it over the top. There we go. Well, that's all I've got. We'll see you boys later. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs>